Welcome to the Build and Inspire podcast. We meet incredible people building amazing things, so you'll be inspired to build what you're passionate about. I mean, like, we're just having fun and hanging out. Like, I don't want this to ever be like, Nick, where are you from? What do you do? That's fantastic. That great question. Like, there's too many of that. Yeah. But um, I got to say, Nick, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Super glad. You know, it's super cool how we got connected, but then super cool how we had one conversation and here we are. So, yeah, I mean, it is really cool how we got connected because I think a lot of people have their social media friends and online friends, but then like they never cross over or it's very rare that they cross over. Yeah. And and I used to be like that too, but now I'm just like, hey, cool. You want to hang out? Let's go on Zoom. <laughs> I Absolutely. love what you're doing. Let's talk. Or if someone asked, someone actually asked me a question the other day on LinkedIn, like, hey, I saw that you teach at some universities. I'd love to do it too. And I'm like, hey, let's schedule some time. It's I love the it. power of taking the conversation offline is more powerful than I think just even reaching out to the other person on social media because you know, I, I, I made when we initially we caught up last time, I think it may have mentioned, you know, 70% of the opportunities that I've had this past year and a half alone Mm -hmm. from, you know, finding somebody on LinkedIn, taking that leap to reach out to them and then asking, Hey, let's take the conversation offline and boom. Yeah. And like now I feel like I can actually call you a friend. And I, I, so I do marketing and I do sales and in sales it's very difficult when people say I have a friend, like, Oh, I have a friend at Adobe. Like, let's say we're trying to sell some technology into Adobe. Like, I have a friend there. And I'm like, all right, cool. Call them. Like, well, there was that one time we tweeted at each other. Oh, and I'm like, (laughs) okay, so you don't have, I mean, it's okay. You don't have a friend at Adobe then. Yeah. But now if someone's like, Hey, can you connect me with Nick? I'm like, yeah, that is a, that is an insanely good point. And and that's kind of the, you know, I always viewed to social media, there's a light and a dark side. And, and some of the some of the time, you know, I think people tend to over glorify. And I, I think, you know, with social media, everybody who's active on it is, you know, they want the next follower that, you know, they want to be seen by a ton of other people. So I think everybody wants to feel important. And social yeah, media in a weird way has allowed us to do that. Yeah. But I think sometimes we tend to take it a bit too far and it creates things that may not necessarily be real. And I know a lot of people who do that too, where we're in conversation and they're like, well, I know so-and-so and and I'm like, Oh, you do. So what does so-and-so do? Well, I'm not sure. I I saw them on LinkedIn and I'm like, well, I can, I'm like, well, I can see people on LinkedIn too, but did you message them? Oh yeah. Comment on their posts. Did you like try and, you know, have a a value, a a shared value, you know? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, if that was the case, I know Brad Pitt, I know. Right. We know all the celebrities. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, I liked all their tweets. I like them all the time. So, <laughs> but if someone did call me and said, Hey, can you connect me with Nick? What would I say you do? Or why would they be calling me? You would say one, Nick is one of the coolest people. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, you would say that Nick is working on empowering people. Well, more or less, empowering people by helping brands connect to people through emerging technology. 
Amazing. And what, if any, it could be all, but do you focus on any specific emerging technologies? Yes. Um, so right now I really am niched out and focused on voice assistant technology. So, you know, Alexa, Google Assistant, um, not so much with Siri and Cortana, but they're kind of in a, a different realm in all this right now. They're not so consumer facing, mm-hmm. but uh, voice assistant technology is really what I'm working on. Um, and then kind of branching off that, I, I've dabbled a bit in, in AI, just, you know, I'm, I'm currently enrolled in a, a Microsoft program for AI. So I've been in Azure, cool. know how to develop models and different things. Um, and then I'm kind of an AI futurist too. So love it. you'll either find people in the AI space, there's like one of two houses for them. The first house is they're an engineer. So they're actually just building stuff, you know, yeah, coding, you know, different things left and right. And the second house is evangelists. So people who are able to really articulate what it's about well, you know, tell people why it's important, why they need to care, futurists mm-hmm. come up with some crazy ideas, and I tend to fall in house two. <laughs> so even though I, I am, you know, at a boat. very high level, I kind of know of some house one things, I definitely fall more in a house two, which is okay, you know, sure. I, I, it, it's a, I, I've been told by many different people, like, you seem like you know a lot about it, and I'm like, sure. well, I mean, you just read as much as you can on it. And then actually when you, when you start learning about it, it only enhances what you know and allows you to be more of an evangelist for it. Oh, a hundred percent. And I, you always need the salesperson and I, I don't mind using the word sales. I love the word sales. Like you need the salesperson too. You need pers- the yes. person to get them excited. I love the word evangelism. That's the word I'd rather use than let's say sales, but like you need that person to go out there and say, this is amazing. Get people excited, get people passionate. Cause once people feel excited and passionate, that's when they feel that connection with it, right? Absolutely. And that, that's, you know, when I do, um, you know, when I do various talks, when I go to conferences or different meetups or different things, you know, it's, for me, it's that moment where I see the light bulb finally go off yeah, like, in somebody's head that they finally get it and they see the potential that makes it all worth it to me. You couldn't pay me enough money in the world yeah. to get that same feeling I get when I see somebody finally get it. That's amazing. And I think it's also about being honest, right? Like, if someone asks me, can you code? I'd be like, nope. <laughs> yep, absolutely. You know, because the last thing you want to do is get into a weird spot where like, hey, do you also develop the technology? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you use like C++ or, you know, and I'm like. Yeah. Quick basics. <laughs> you basics. <laughs> no, and, yeah. And then I'm asked too all the time, well, do you actually develop and stuff? And I'm very upfront. I say, I personally don't develop. You know, mm-hmm. I've taken some high level courses on it. I know all the strategy. I know how it's going to help your brand. I know how to tell the story through it. I go, but I have other people for that. <laughs> sure. Yeah, of course. Right. And then that's what they, that's what they enjoy doing. Right. So you find people that enjoy the different parts of it. Now, do you feel that it's getting easier to evangelize for AI or is it just still hard in like a confusing space? Yeah. So I would say, you know, we can, we can look at that both from an AI or a voice um, standpoint. So I would say it actually AI is easier to be an evangelist for right now, just because everybody, everybody's heard of it. You know, sure. even if you don't know what it does, everybody has now heard of the term artificial intelligence. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I make sure I do in any talk I give, whether that be specifically for AI or whether that be specifically for voice or even social media is I go through where are we currently at with AI so you understand it because there are so many misconceptions floating around the world right now and the media specifically about what AI is. And of course, they only report on the scary stuff. They don't of ever course. report on you know, the cool the things that is going to happen. Um, 
but there's a ton of different facets under AI, but when it comes to actually talking about voice, which I consider under the umbrella of AI, that one is still kind of an ice wall I'm chipping away at because again, people are buying these products and, you know, they're using them on a, on a daily basis pretty much, but they, you know, from an organizational or a business standpoint, nobody really gets the value. Um, So the phase we're in right now with all of it, those of us who are in the space is truly education. And the main goal right now is to educate people and educate businesses why this is going to benefit you in the next two, three years, That's why great. this is such a huge market opportunity and why you need to act on it now. Because if you don't, you're going to be left behind. Yeah. So that that's kind of where, where the voice space specifically is at right now. And I do give these talks. Amazing. I love that you, you drive and you lead with the why. That's the most important when it comes to any kind of new technology. The how doesn't really matter so much to the general exactly. public, right? Like, oh, so we use C++ and then this connects to that. And it's like, you lost me. You confused me. Yep. But, you know, this is going to help you learn better. This is going to help you get to, um, get that promotion faster, right? That's going to help you get that better movie recommendation. Like, exactly. Right? That, that's when people are like, oh. so leading with the why, I, that's so amazing. I bet you that works, right? Most of the it time. Does. People always want to know how this is going to help them over, well, they want to know what it's going to do for them versus the ins and outs of how it works. Nobody could care about how it works. They want to know, excuse me, how this is going to make my life better. And from a business standpoint, how this is going to make me money. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. I I always liked, one of the favorite things I like to do when I'm talking to people about AI, because I'm in your camp as well, where I evangelize and talk about it, but it's, I'm like, it's all around you. Like how? I'm like, well, you know those recommendations you're getting on Netflix. That's AI. You know those reviews that or those suggestions you're getting on Amazon. Like, you bought this. You should also buy these. I mean, I know some of that is also human supported, like Mechanical Turk and things like that. But AI plays a part. Well, and you know the same can be said for social media. Every time you log on to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, there's an algorithm powering that newsfeed, which is. And basically artificial intelligence learning from what's put in there and optimizing it, you know, every millisecond. So everybody is touched by it every day. I just think we've become so accustomed to the magic of these technologies that we don't realize it. And, you know, there's a reason, like, I've always loved technology and Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, people are like, well, it's because you're a millennial and you grew up with it. And and I'm like, no, 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 no. I go, if you really sit back, and think about all of the insane, crazy things that we've been able to create and do because of the technology that we've oh, created. Yes. It's mind-blowing, and it actually almost becomes overwhelming because it, who would have thought, you know, I always bring up this example because I do this often in my car, and it still blows my mind every time. So I drive a Nissan Max, and I have Apple CarPlay. Mm-hmm. So when I plug my phone in, you know, it connects to the audio system and everything, I am driving down a country road, you know, to my full-time job during the day. And I'm like, Hey Siri. And you know, it pops up. Did she pop up now? I was going to say it didn't go uh, up there. I'm I like, you're going to make mine pop up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Hey Siri. And then Siri comes up and I ask for the song that I'm thinking of in the moment. And because I'm subscribed to Apple music, you know, you get everything. And you know, I tell Siri what I want. Siri plays the song. That song is then being streamed literally from outer space because the, you know, it has to go to a database, connect to a cell tower, a bunch of servers, and it's there in full, you know, 
like audio quality in my car. Yeah. Amazing. And like almost any I, song. Right. And I, it's just something that simple, but you think just how magic is that? You know, yeah. people say, you know, we, we, we always are like, no, magic doesn't exist. Magic isn't real. We're living magic. It's every magic. Day. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Magic exists and it's in the form of technology and the things that we've created. And, and that's just one example. But every time I do that, it, it just blows my mind. It yeah. Really, I, I agree. I, I love that you use the word magic because it is magic. I, it, that's fantastic. And I love that you also talked about a car because, you know, obviously automa- autonomous vehicles are like some of the biggest things in the news right now. And I sometimes talk to someone, they're like, I don't want my computer anywhere near my car. And I'm like, hey, what year is your car? They're like, 2011. They're like, it's an older car. I'm like, that's pretty much a computer. Has a computer, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, oh, you know when you hit those brakes? Like, yep. that's done by a computer, and, and I honestly, the computer has a brain. I would go far Some enough car. to say that any car manufactured after the mid-'80s probably has a computer in it. Some some sort of microchip, some some sort of process of powering something. Um, 100%. Yeah, and I, I, you know, people are, I, I think we're at a point right now where technology is, is truly booming more than it ever has in human history, and um, I'm actually excited to kind of talk about this and in, in my TEDx that I have coming up here, but well, congratulations uh, to that. Sorry, I had to do that little. Plug. No, I mean, <laughs> congratulations. That's, that's an amazing accomplishment. That you're yes. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to, to, to give my talk on that. But one of the things I'm going to bring up, you know, is, you know, we've gone through a bunch of different shifts throughout our course of humanity, you know, mm. from, you know, learning how to communicate to constructing the wheel yep. to, you know, the bronze age to the industrial revolution. And now we've approached, you know, and every, every time we've gone through that, we've had a different paradigm shift in, in our sure. thinking as a, as a, as a species, as a society. And, you know, right now I think we're in the most drastic paradigm shift and way of thinking that we've ever had to encounter before as a group, because, and, and it's all being driven by this technology. It's all being driven by technology and our ability to do anything on demand. You got it. And people are afraid of that. You know, you'll, I, I think you can agree. You'll find more people resistant to change than people who are willing to embrace change. And 100%. we can see this, you know, I, I, I say we've been in the tech revolution since the, the late 1980s, mid to late 1980s sure. when, you know, Microsoft and everything else started to really boom and it hasn't stopped. And, and you know, as you know, in fact, it's only gotten quicker and more cool things have been, on because of it but yeah i think right now we're struggling to elevate to that next level and we're yeah. seeing that pushback you know across the world geopolitically economically socially and you can feel it happening you could feel that tension yeah that's happening right now and it's all because the technology is driving us to progress and yeah. reach a higher version of ourselves but you still have the other group of people who are resisting that because that's the way it's always been done yeah, yeah. The other camp of us who are like, well, come on, let's just get there already. Let's sure, go. sure. You know, let's do all this. So, um, that's one of the theories I have, and I really think that you know, it, technology is driving this shift in, in thinking that is, you know, changing so many, so many things right now. Yeah, I mean, without completely fact checking you, because that's one hundred percent the boat I'm in. I'm going to say it's just fact. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. It's just fact. Yeah. Right. Like. It's not what we believe. It is the truth. So not to belittle the technology that exists today, 
the way, and I'd love your feedback on this, the way I explain it to people is that first, let's not think of technology as the computer or the phone or anything like that. Guess what's technology? This. There was a time when people didn't have clothing, right? There was a time when people didn't have a pencil, right? Or a way to start a fire. That's technology. And actually, if you look throughout history, when books first started getting printed in the masses, there were people out there, and you could find this in the history books, saying, we need to get rid of these books because these books won't allow us to think if all our memories are on paper. Right. We hear the same thing about Google. No one thinks anymore. It's on Google. When books, when books started coming out, people thought that. The other one that I love to share is that Cars, there's a song, I'm not even going to try to guess the year, but when Cars started becoming popular, there was a song saying, don't go out with anybody with a car because they are dangerous people. I like that. Like the person who has a car is dangerous. And now, I mean, transportation, cars are synonymous with transportation. So I try to like let them look at it from that lens and not necessarily just say like this technology or that technology, everything's technology. Like I said, like being able to write it on a freaking piece of paper, that's technology. And that I feel people are like, Oh, I get it. Yes. I would say that anything that, you know, anything that we create that causes a shift in thinking or behavior yep. is technology. A hundred percent. And I always like to tell them to, and give them examples. Cause there was a time when accountants were afraid of Excel Right. They hated them. And I remember actually looking at statistics that there are actually now more accountants than there ever were before. Because Excel opens up so many doors to do stuff that we didn't have, we didn't have tools to do that before. Exactly. But guess what happened to those accountants that said, I'm not going to use Excel. They probably don't have a job anymore. (laughs) You got it right. And that's, that's dangerous. So I want to support the people, right? Like, I think that's the same boat you're in and say like, listen, let's change. Let's go with with that. Like, and some things you some change you can fight and probably some change you should fight. But when it comes to most technologies and most of what's happening today, truthfully, it's changing so fast that if you're not adopting, you're going to be left behind, unfortunately. Exactly. And you know, when, when I talk with people about voice and where it's headed and the market opportunity, you know, they're always like, well, how do you know this is actually going to go anywhere? And then I'm like, well, because typically who I have these talks with are people older than me. <laughs> sure, that happens. But, um, hey, but hey, I've, I've met some young people that are like, no, I don't want to use any of that. And I'm like, oh, I have too. And I'm shocked when, yeah. I, when I find them, but they're like fascinating. They're super fascinating. <laughs> but, Can I study you? Yes. But anyhow, I, I always like, well, would you have invested more in mobile back in the mid 2000s? Good point. That's a really good like, point. Well, they're like, of course. And I'm like, well, this is the new mobile. I go, in fact, this is going to be bigger than mobile. Sure. And then they're like, oh, oh, that makes sense. I'm like, yes, it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Invest all your money. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, there's, there's a reason Amazon has a team of 10,000 people on Alexa. There is a reason Google has a massive staff and Google Assistant. You know, there's a reason Apple is buying up a bunch of uh, startup companies to help boost Siri. There's a reason yeah. Microsoft is trying to make Cortana the enterprise voice assistant. I mean, sure. these companies are smart. There's a reason they're the most valuable companies on the planet. I yep. mean, they, there's a reason for it. And when they're doing something, even if you know it hasn't hit consumers yet, if it hasn't hit business yet, you need to watch it because though every single person who works in those organizations thinks ahead. They're all exactly. being forced to think ahead if they're not doing it naturally. 
So when you see them putting out these types of technologies, no, you don't sit there and sit idly by and watch it just happen. You invest in it. You learn how to use it. You learn how to be ahead of the curve. I agree. The unfortunate thing about enterprise is enterprise and you know business in general doesn't seem to operate that way. No, it's so hard. Uh, so when I started my first advertising job at JWT, like we had Lotus Notes. I'm not sure if you ever heard of Lotus Notes. I actually have not heard of Lotus Notes. Lotus Notes is some antiquated email system when everyone else in the world was in Outlook. It took them like three years to make that change. Wow. Yeah. Huh. So the enterprise is hard, but I, heck, AI will help with the change management of all that, right? Like, oh, I, I think so. Absolutely. I mean, and that, that's the thing. People are also afraid, you know, in the, in the negative camps, they're all like, well, AI is going to get rid of my job or AI is going to do this or do that. And I'm, you know, I'm very honest. I'm like, yeah, it will probably change your job. It yeah. may get rid of some jobs, but it's also going to create jobs that we don't even know exist yet. That's true too. That's, that's a very, very valid point. I mean, look at Excel and a million other things that have come that now there are jobs. Well, like, I mean, like software developers, if you know, the computer was never invented, the microprocessor was never invented, there'd be no reason to program. There'd be oh, no yeah. to develop software. But because that happened, we have some of the most valuable jobs in the world right now are in development. I, yeah, you're right. They're the highest paid jobs right now. I mean, you could be an intern at Google and you could make like $150,000. Yes. Yeah. So that's a fair point. One of the things that I definitely want to make sure that I ask you too, and I love that you brought it up earlier too, is that in the news, there are too many conversations happening about the negative part of AI. Everyone's talking about, you know, it's going to take over the world. Why do you think it's not? Why do you think it's not negative? Because I think, and I'm, I'm going to get theoretical here again. But Please, no, I, let's get deep. I, I think, okay, let me, let me just take a step back. No, so I, I think humans are, have always been looking for ways to do things quicker, faster, and all, all around more efficiently because we're trying to save time. Yep. You know, whether anybody wants to admit it or not, we're all cognizant of the fact that we have a limited amount of time to be alive. You know, at some point, this is all going to end. We're not going to be around anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're trying to save as much time as possible, you know, to focus on what really matters. And truly, I think that's why we've created all these different technologies to help us live longer, to help us save time. So I get everybody who is saying, you know, again, the negative camp of AI where they're afraid of job loss or they're afraid of, you know, AI programs making things more efficient. but I tend to take a bit of a different stance on that and say, well, right. But at the end of the day, AI is going to save us so much time from all the BS that we have to deal with on a daily basis. Like, I'll tell you what, Leo, I hate writing email. I think it is a waste of time. Mm. I hate it so much, but you have to do it. Yeah, I could have an AI program, you know, sift through my past email conversations and I could just ask it you know, respond to this person, give it a couple of different things to go off of, and it drafts the email, that's going to save me so much time to focus on other things that are more important. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and even things that we don't realize take up time, like grocery shopping and cleaning the house. And, you know, it's simple things like that, that AI is going to really just make, I wouldn't say null and void, but it's going to make it so efficient that we're going to actually have, I think, a tougher time realizing what we're going to do with all of our free time. Yeah. We're going to channel that energy into because we've been so bogged down by the amount of 
menial little tasks that I agree. they have to do. I agree. And the way I share that point of view with people is CPGs. So CPGs are, stand for consumer packaged goods. That is one of the pieces of technology that has made the biggest impact in our lives. Right? And something people don't think about, right? Think about bread, think about cookies, think about uh, health food, et cetera. It comes in a package that actually is magical because yes. back in the day, we're like sitting at a park. You're like, Hey, I want some bread. You have to go to the baker, right? The baker would have to bake it, all that kind of good stuff. And then when are we working? When are we actually doing anything that we love? When are we creating art? When are we doing this? No, because you have to do it. And if you would have talked to someone back in the day and been like, well, it could come in a package, but like, why? I could just go to the baker. Yep. It's the same kind of thinking now. Like I could just write email now. Like why? But I'm like, no, freeing up with time is fantastic. And I have a very, well, pretty much the exact view, but I'll add to that. I believe that humans having the ability to not work is actually a fantastic thing. Right. Because now you could pursue anything and everything you wanted to. Did you want to write a book on philosophy? Go ahead. Right. Actually, do you still want to be an engineer and create things? Go ahead. Now you have the time and the money and the freedom to actually do it. You want to paint? Go ahead. Right. And it's only going to bring us closer and closer as humans. As humans, because of social media and, and all of history, we just want to connect. Yes. So now you and I could just have conversations about life all day long. Exactly. And I, I think it's hard for people wrap their mind around what a world looks like where we don't have to work. I mean, this draws into so many socioeconomic and sure. geopolitical questions. You know, ultimately money may not exist anymore. Government may not exist. Universal anymore. income. Universal income, you know, and, and these are all things that I'll just be honest, the common lay person I just don't think can can grasp. And, you know, because it's true. I mean, even talking about it with you, I think we're even both sitting here like that. It's it's such deep stuff. Of course. Um, Ooh, yeah. But it, it, it's on people probably listen like they sound crazy. Yeah, but you know, and I'll say to everyone listening, I, I know we do sound completely crazy, but I'm telling you, like this, this is on the horizon. That's going to be here, you know, before we know it. I mean, you know, throughout my lifetime, I'm I I can't even imagine, you know, by the time I'm 60 years old, what the world is going to look like. And there's no way to imagine you know, that. I'm sure our parents, our grandparents, you know, thought the same thing. Like you know, looking at the evolution, like my grandparents were born in the forties. I mean, you know, to be that old in 2019 and have just seen just so many changes and shifts. I mean, I, I can't even imagine, oh, yeah. I can't even imagine, you know, eventually I may be the, the 75 year old guy who refuses to learn the new technology. Cause I'm just too old at that point. Yeah, exactly. Like forget this stuff. The one, the one, the one thing I, I do want to bring up and, and chat with you here though, with is something that I've been you bring up anything. Yeah, talking with a lot of people in the in the AI and voice space about, and you know, as much as we can be an evangelist for the technology and promote it, and and look at all how many look at all the good that it's going to do, um, the limitation I think still falls within how we design it. Um, you know, nobody, none of the tech companies is as you know as as much money and resources that they're pumping into and aren't really looking at the ethics mm -hmm. of what they're actually creating. Um, I mean, creating potentially an all intelligent being that can process data more efficiently than our own brain can. And as we're creating it right now, it's going to latch on to the things that the creators put into it. That uh, has bias. 
bias, you know, whether, you know, think about it. And I'm just going to say this, you know, we know, we know the tech industry is whitewashed, you know, male, male whitewashed. And I guess, I guess I don't necessarily mean whitewashed. It's predominantly male. It's predominantly white males who are in the tech industry. And, you know, not saying that everybody's racist because I, you know, who's like that. I, I believe that's not where I'm going with this, but no, no, I, is, I get it. you know, if you have an inherent bias that you don't even consciously think of, mm-hmm. you're programming that into an intelligent system or an intelligent being that bias is getting built into it. And as a matter right. of fact, we've, you know, I don't know if you've seen this in the news recently, but they, they proved that Amazon's uh, recognition, facial recognition platform was targeting uh you know black african americans more so than any black african american I, I didn't hear this actually i missed this yeah. black african american women more than any other race police were using it um and that was proven that the, the ai had bias built into it um you can see that even in facebook's newsfeed algorithm yes certain content and certain recommendations that pop up in the news political content yes, are, are inherent is inherently biased um, and I think these are all, you know, questions that we really need to think of as we're building this. And I, I, like I said, I wish I was a programmer and I wish, you know, I, I was more in tune with that because I would be telling people this left and right. If I was working for one of the big tech companies that we need sure. to focus on the ethics, we need to focus on what we're actually creating here, because as we've known throughout our history, whether it's a good idea or not, we are going to build it anyhow. And yeah, of course. And if we're not building it, some other country is going to build it or something. Exactly. Like and we're seeing and we're seeing that with Facebook right now. We're we're seeing, you know, it, it was interesting when I went to that digital uh, summit Seattle conference this mm-hmm. week back in February. Uh, Randy Zuckerberg was there. She was one of the keynotes. Wow. Yep. And uh, you know, she was talking about you know how Mark recruited her to Facebook very early on, and you know a, bu- a bunch of that stuff. And as she was giving her presentation, she said, you know, early on when we were creating it, you know, we were excited because we were like, oh, cool, we're we're giving everybody a voice. Like this is this is the first yeah. time this has happened in human history. And then she says, as we kind of tumbled down the rabbit hole and got deeper into it and started seeing what was happening, she said, oh no, we're giving everybody a voice. Yeah, um, we can see that. You know, everywhere on social media today where people are tearing each other down, you know, especially yeah, Twitter, right? People are yeah. getting harassed, you know, people are getting death threats. And it's so easy to do because it's digital. It doesn't matter. It, you're not face to face with that person. It's a different type of communication. And mm-hmm. you know, when they were building this, their goal was to connect everybody. But you it's hard to see sure. there's going to bring. And AI is one of those things that is going to blow Facebook out of the water in terms of, of what it's going to do. Yeah. And we cannot have it be biased. We cannot have it be, you know, you know, racial. We cannot have it target certain subgroups of people. It needs to be fair and equal for everybody. It needs to truly be an omnipotent being yeah. that is away from any type of bias and needs to be ethical. And I, I really think that's something that needs to be talked about more and people who are in the space need to be thinking about more. I, I agree. So if you were hired by Amazon, Google, Microsoft, let's say tomorrow, and they asked you, Nick, how do we actually fix this? How do we make sure that it's not biased? How do we make sure that it's ethical? Have you given thought to like what you would say? And you may not have the answer. I mean, we're like, well, this is a brand new space. You know what? That is, that is like the billion dollar question. Okay. Um, I don't, I haven't encountered anybody who has a good idea because at this point you can't really control 
I mean, every single human being has some type of innate bias. Of course. You know, every single person does. Yeah, because we're all uh, unique. We're, unique right. If we're responsible for the for creating this, I, I don't really know how we're going to get past that unless it gets created in a way where it can construct itself. But even then, yeah, but then like gathering all of our information that already is biased. So I really don't have an answer. I yeah. I, I think somebody somewhere will figure it out. Sure. Um, I don't think that person will be me. <laughs> <laughs> that's how cool as that would be um but i i do know that at least out of all the tech companies microsoft is really thinking about this i had a really good uh discussion with uh her name is noella charity she actually was on the original dev team for alexa at amazon wow. and uh, she now works at microsoft as a uh, as a director and, and an evangelist for ai and everything she mm -hmm. travels the world and and she her and i had a fantastic talk at, at digital summit about all of this and how people aren't thinking about the ethics and you know how technology is so male whitewashed that all these all these biases are being built into the software and that, that really needs to be tackled but microsoft actually out of all the tech companies established a, an ethics center for ai um i don't think and i could be wrong but i don't think google or um or apple or, or amazon have done that and I, I do know that mit actually is funding like a billion dollar ai um, center for ethical research, which, which wow. needs to happen. Sure. Um, so interesting. Is the government jumping in at all? So surprisingly, no, um, actually, no, I'm not surprised, but it's interesting <laughs> enough that, you know, um, political leanings aside with all the kooky stuff that's come out of, out of the government and, yeah. and, and Trump lately, he actually issued, um, I forget if it wasn't a, a statement or an executive order, something saying how, you know, the United States has a priority and a goal of innovating with AI and being ethical with it, which I thought was, I'm like, out of all the kooky stuff, the past, yeah, this is the one you, I'm like, you say something that's actually like, you know, all right, I can get behind you on that one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Interesting. What's funny is that you saw me moving just a little bit earlier, but I did unplug this before our call. Oh, is that your, is that your echo? Yeah, because I'm like, we're going to be saying her name so many times. You know what? Give me a sec. I got, I'm going to pause mine too. Hang on. <laughs> I love it. Okay, we're good. <laughs> yeah, was, had, did she light up at any point during this conversation? Surprisingly, no. But when I was doing that, uh, that masterclass uh, interview with Marae, I was mm -hmm. talking about Alexa and it kept going off. So I'm, I'm shocked she hasn't made any noise so far since we've been on the podcast. Amazing. So... You know, are there, are there any governments out there that are jumping in and like saying we need to be having these conversations? I know there are obviously governments are investing in this in the billion. Yeah, um, off the top of my head, I know China is really trying to become the world leader in, in AI. Yes. Do are they investing in ethics? That that I don't really know. Yes. Um, I know many countries in the EU are really trying to make some developments. Are they focusing on ethics? I don't really know. Yeah. Because I, I think at the end of the day, everybody is so focused on, you know, developing the technology, you know, leveraging it for enterprise and doing all these cool things with it. No one is really focusing on the ethical part of it. And I think we're going to be, you know, pardon my French, bitten in the ass by that if we don't, oh. we don't act on that soon. Oh, yeah, of course. No, we need to figure this out. <laughs> Yeah. 100%. I, I, don't want, I don't want general AI to happen and, you know, it all of a sudden targets a certain group of people and wants to commit genocide. Agreed. 
Agreed. So what do you, so actually, so for those that may not know, you just said general AI. I was going to bring this up as well. What do you mean by general AI? Great question, actually. I'm, I'm glad I said that so we can yeah. talk about this. So, um, in, the, in the talks that I give where I go over where we're currently at with AI, there are two different, quote unquote, types of AI, I guess you can call them, yeah. um, that, that we currently have an understanding of. Um, and and there, it's narrow AI, which basically is artificial intelligence designed to do one thing extremely well. Got it. And there's generalized AI where really... Human beings, it, it's just kind of let loose. And, and at this point, it, it makes its own decisions. It sifts through information on its own. Yep. Um, it can do things at will. That That's generalized AI. And right now where we're at is narrow. So, you know, we're trying to work towards general. Um, the goal is to get there at some point. I really can't give a time frame of when that would be. Yeah. Um, but, but that is what everybody's trying to work towards. But where we're at right now and probably will be for the foreseeable future is narrow AI. So developing algorithms, developing tools, developing machine learning models yep. that can just do one thing extremely, extremely well. Yeah. I, I thank you so much for explaining that because I know a lot of people actually don't know that the way I explain it usually is I try to talk about our intelligence. I'm like, you know, I could see, I could hear, I could feel, I could touch. Just being able to do one of those things doesn't necessarily make me intelligent. Right. My intelligence comes from being able to put all those things together and then think and have thoughts. And that's what general AI yes. does. Yes, that, that's also a really good explanation. Think of it that, yeah, if, if you know, to the listeners right now, think of it as what, what Leo just said, where think of it like a human being almost. You know, you have all the senses working together to create essentially consciousness and intelligence. Yeah, because she could talk, right? Yeah. But there's a lot she can't do exactly but uh i this has changed my life a lot and the the truth and i'd love to get your thoughts on it but also if you have any research on this or any statistics on this too but like how are people using this exactly like for the first few i think i'm ashamed to say maybe for like months it's like she was just my timer and my clock <laughs> <laughs> like that's it i was super happy with it i'm, I'm yeah. glad i invested money in it and everything, but when it first came out, I was one of the first people to buy the Echo. Yep. I was just like, "What time is it?" <laughs> <laughs> no, that, 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 that's a great question. Um, actually, in, in 2018, Adobe came out with a, a state of voice report. So uh -huh. they had done a hefty amount of research into how people were using voice. Um, what were some of the primary things that people were asking their voice assistant to do? Um, and what the future of it looked like. And um, surprisingly, I thought uh, the number one thing that people are currently using their voice assistants for is to play games. Really? Um, yeah, play, play different voice games and, and things. And the second is listen to music. Are there age, do, you, do you have any age data related to that? Is it like um, certain ages? Or Sorry? Cross-generational. Really? Yes. So little kids up to grown adults. Interesting. I've not I, played. I thought, I thought so too, right? Yeah. Um, and then the second thing was listening to music, which makes sure. sense because each one of these devices integrates with some type of streaming service and yep. you know, we don't buy music anymore. We just stream it. So that, that one would make sense. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think behind that, it actually was an e-commerce. What was the third one? I think the third one may have just been general search. Interesting. It's like just finding, Hey, what time does the store close or it was either, it was either general search or it was setting a timer. Got it. I was going to say, timer <laughs> actually, 
Yeah, it was it was either general search or setting a timer, and I I, I would love to double check the Adobe report, but they, mm-hmm. they did outline. I do know for sure it was um, playing a game and listening to music were the top two. Amazing. The the thing I love talking about, and the reason I love all my virtual assistants and especially my voice assistants is that it's so passive. I use yes. her a lot. I think probably now I keep calling her, her, <laughs> See? it Alexa. Right. I ask her mostly for my calendar. Yep. I'm like, Hey, when is my next meeting? That's what I use her for. And like, I could do that while I'm writing an email, you know, yep. I could do that while I'm going to the restroom, like anything. I love how passive it is. It gives yes, me the ability to get my life to continue. Yes, it, it's insanely simple. And, you know, speaking is the oldest form of communication, mm-hmm. and it's the simplest form of communication. I mean, what's easier to communicate your point than talking to somebody? Yeah. And it's interesting to see, you know, how that's what we started with, but then we moved into written language, and then we moved into literal digital language. Mm-hmm. And now we're kind of circling back to the simplest way of yeah. communicating with language. Um, and one of the things that I think we're going to start seeing with these different voice assistants too. And I was explaining this to Murray mm-hmm. was, you know, Alexa, you know, every, every voice assistant kind of has in their own way, a little niche for what they specialize in. Yeah. So like Alexa, of course is shopping it's streaming music, True. it's applications. Google is search, hands down. Um, absolutely search. Google has search locked in. Um, mm-hmm. Cortana definitely is being leveraged more for mm-hmm. enterprise, enterprise solutions. Yeah. And then Siri is, well, I'm still trying to figure Siri out. <laughs> yeah, actually, Siri's probably, I don't use her as much. I've tried texting her with her when uh, I'm in the car and stuff. It just doesn't, It's why. It's because uh, Apple, as we know, Apple has always tried to stay ahead of the curve and that's yeah. honestly was the genius of Steve Jobs but I think they came to the party a bit too quick with Siri. I mean if if we all remember, you know, 2011 they had Siri, they had bought that uh, the sure. original parent company of Siri and they mm-hmm. had it embedded in the phones, they were ready to go, but consumers were not there yet. Yeah. And I think when they saw people weren't using it, I knew know for a fact, you know, from what I've read that they pulled a ton of people off of the dev team uh-huh. they only made you know updates quote unquote as they needed to yeah you know, to keep it fresh to make it not seem so stale but overall the technology suffered sure so then you know 2014 amazon enters the market with alexa and you see okay this isn't so crappy anymore mm-hmm. you know enter 2016 with with google assistant and you're like okay, this really isn't that crappy anymore. Yeah. Apple sees that and they're like, oh boy. Sure, because yeah, they beat them now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So kind of circling back though, so we're seeing these different voice assistants specialize in different things. So, um, you know, one of the things I've always talked about is if we're looking at this, you know, this ecosystem of voice connected devices and internet yeah. things and, and everything kind of talking and interacting with one another, they all need to play nice together. You know, you yeah. just have Alexa here, Google here, you know, Siri here, they all need to work. And um, I actually did find out um, from somebody I know that they are currently working on a backend to connect all of the devices. Oh, like standardization. So, yes. Yeah, so you could be having a conversation with Alexa but then that conversation can carry over into Google, can carry over into Cortana. That um, needs to happen. 
it does because that that's one of the limiting factors you know i always recently uh, up until recently i've always thought of this as like the the hd dvd blu-ray war white right? uh, you, you got it format. i was just gonna say that yeah. yes you have a format and there's a there's a duel going on for w- what format is going to win but yeah up until recently i was always like alexa alexa alexa's gonna win but when i i started thinking about it i'm like well voice is different though because what research is showing is people who become used to one voice assistant, mm-hmm. that's the one they're kind of going to go with no matter what. Yeah, it makes and sense. And when you have a, an environment and an ecosystem of people with a bunch of different devices, you know, people aren't just going to give that up. You need a way to combine them all so it's a seamless experience. Agreed. And that's what they're working on. So ultimately, I could see somebody even having multiple ones in their house, like you use Alexa for your shopping. Yeah, or yeah you know, to play a game or to stream music, but then, you know, you need to find out some information. So you use Google for that search. I thought uh, that like for my own use case, yes. like for Leo, I'm like, I need to buy both. Yes. And then, you know, bring Cortana into what maybe you have a home office, but all your home office applications are run on Cortana. And again, I'm still trying to figure Siri out, but I, I think you get where I'm going with that. Yeah. No, I see where you're going. Definitely. I mean, it's, it's still happening. And one of the, the biggest, uh, companies that really always did this was Apple, like you just mentioned, and Sony, right? Like Sony always had their own charger, always had like their own thing. And own, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, how many times is like, you know, like I have this that charges with micro USB and this charges with USB and this charges with yep. Apple. Let's just focus on Apple. Fire cable, lightning cables. I'm like, I really, I really just wish this was micro USB. So when I'm hanging out with my friends, they have an Android. I'm like, yeah, let's connect. Or when they ask me, hey, can you plug in my phone? I'm like, I can't, but I want to be able to say yes. And I, I think, you know, because the tech companies, I think, realize with this, they have to start playing nice with one another or yeah. the technology is going to suffer. Because we're starting to see more partnerships between like Microsoft and Amazon and Apple and Amazon. And, yeah. you know, I think they're, the hand is being forced to move because in an environment like this, you you can't have proprietary stuff. It needs to happen. I mean, just for even for the good of humanity, based on what we were just talking about, our philosophies that will happen because they're facts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're, we're, we're not, we're not BSing here. This is all facts. Yeah, this is, this is prophecy, right? So uh, they need to make that happen. You know what I mean? I, I get bottom lines. I get budgets. I mean, I run a business, you run a business. I, I get that. But for the good of humanity, we need to start standardization now. Yes. And it's coming. She, when I talk with her, she didn't really give me like, you know, an ETN when that was coming. Yeah. They are working on it. Interesting. When you said she, I'm like, did you ask Alexa? <laughs> is that who you're having a conversation Alexa with? Alexa could talk, you know, that, that's yeah. hysterical. What's funny is I, I did, for myself, like I was saying, think exactly that. So I use this for my shopping. I use this for my timer. I'm so used to, but then actually I have an iPhone, but my real business ecosystem, my email, everything is on G suite. So Google, right? So I'm like, I need both. And I actually ended up, this is a bit different, but I ended up buying my grandparents, who know, mostly Spanish Google home though, because, because Alexa at the time languages. Yep. didn't have Spanish, maybe in Spain, I think in Latin America, they do. But here in the States, you can't put her on Spanish without oh. a hacking. Yes. And let me tell you, the Spanish version of Google Home works fantastically well. I'm sure. I, I, I've read that the, that the infrastructure and, and how Google Assistant is designed for multiple languages, can, Alexa can't even jump into the ring. Yeah. 
that's, I think that's a huge miss because I mean, even think about, you know, I mean, every other country in the world that speaks different language. Right. Do you know who actually, who's the second, the second uh, biggest, is it, I mean, is it even English that's the biggest um, language or, I mean, it might be Mandarin, right? Or it might be. It's actually English and I'm going to go ahead and fire off here and say that Spanish is coming in second. Interesting. Um, But kind of actually going, going to your point about, you know, being adopted in different countries. So I actually just read something uh, yesterday, actually, that, so, you know, we look at the U S and, you know, Alexa has about 60, 60% 60% of the market right now. Yeah. Of smart speakers. Google has about 30%. Okay. Um, and then everything else kind of is jumbled in there. <laughs> but then you look at Australia, okay. for example, and Australia, it's about 60% of the market is Google. It's like 180. <laughs> I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. So in Australia, more people actually have adopted Google Assistant and Google Home then they've adopted Alexa, which makes sense because Amazon, they had some problems with Amazon I was gonna say. to begin with. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to see what different countries, you know, groups of people are, are adopting the different, the different types of assistance. And um, when I was chatting with my friend Ming a couple of weeks ago, she even said that, you know, she, most people are, are using Google versus yeah. Alexa there. Makes sense um, now that I think about it. Which, you know, it's funny, you know, of course, you know, Americans mostly use the voice assistant that's based on capitalism. Sure. Well, yeah, but I, mean, I think it's, I, I love that we're having this conversation, though, too, because it's really important for us to not just have a U.S. centric point of view. Yes. You know what I mean? So, like, let's talk about it because this is going to have such a big impact on humanity that we should be looking at this across the globe. Yes. This should be a global conversation, right? Maybe that is part of the answer to what we were talking about earlier. Like how do we figure out that this doesn't have bias is by having everyone in the world. I don't know how that looks, how that scales, how that works. Again, I'm not solving that problem issue either, but like everyone needs to be involved. It can't just be one country that leads us. Do you agree? Or? I know I do. Um, I think the one thing holding that back is we, we still have a lot of countries um, on the planet who don't have access to internet. Yeah, that's true. And I think that is probably, I mean, heck, we even have rural areas in the United States that still don't have quality access to internet. And I, yeah. I think as long as that exists, it's going to be very hard for everybody to kind of get on the same page and get on board with this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do know, you know, with the arrival of 5G and, and all that stuff, <laughs> that, that's supposed to change things. But I, I do know there there are a couple companies working on actually providing a global internet satellite network yeah facebook is doing it even when they have the hot air balloons facebook is doing it um crazy elon musk is doing it um what's what's he not doing i know right actually i think richard branson and i I could be wrong there but i thought i heard richard branson was working on something too um but they are trying to build a a global internet network because i mean really when you think about it if we're going to have self-driving cars if we're going to have you know, drones dropping off our goods. If we're going to have all these internet connected devices, internet needs to be everywhere. hundred percent. Yeah. It, it can't it, happen without the internet. <laughs> no, and it, it can't just be internet. It needs to be, you know, high bandwidth quality internet. Yeah, 100%. Um, so until I think that every person in the world has an accessibility to internet. 
yeah we're we're going to see a struggle with everybody being on the same page when it comes to things like ai and, and voice because there's people who who just don't even have the capability to be on social media yet yeah well that's true and even if you think about it actually even like countries like china that restrict the internet like are we really going to get the point of views and the opinions right. of people well, I'm I'm still waiting, you know, for the internet to be considered a public good, so it, it can be Man, treated I like agree. a utility. Exactly, <laughs> just a public service. Everyone should have it. Uh, it's, am... it's getting to that point. I, I've been reading that. Uh, you know, again, I'd like to give a. I'm going to guesstimate a time frame in the next uh-huh. 15, 20 years that I, I would guess the internet would more than likely become treated like a utility, like electric, water, yeah, any because we're getting to the point where you can't live without internet as stupid as that yeah. sounds no 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 it doesn't at all i 100 can't function without internet i mean if you're doing s- even simple stuff at your home and as we get more into this you know internet of things type environment you won't be able to do much so right. I, I think internet will always be managed by private companies unfortunately but sure. i think that they're going to be treated like utilities or like you know you had you, you have to charge this much you can't go beyond that it has yeah. to be affordable Agreed. you know because right now like you know, I'll, for example, out in, uh, I don't know what, what you have out in Colorado, but here in, in Wisconsin, uh, Charter Spectrum has a monopoly. So, what? Sorry? Charter Spectrum. Uh-huh. What do they have? Um, I mean, they're the internet service provider. Oh, they're the ones. All right. They have the monopoly. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. They do. Yep. They have a monopoly here in Wisconsin. You like go anywhere in Wisconsin, you either go with Charter or some really, some other company that has really bad internet. Yeah, sure. That no one's using really because you can't do this, what we're doing exactly. right now. <laughs> so it, it's like, you know, until it's treated as you, you know, and, and charter can charge whatever they want. Like, you know, yeah. they bring you in and like, they're, Oh, well, you know, $42 a month for a new contract. Yeah. But after that, 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 what, that 12 months is up oh, you know, yeah. I'm paying like $58 for what I had 12 months ago. Yeah. And they laugh all the way to the bank because they're like, who else are you going to use? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I think until we get that problem solved, which I don't know if it will. Um, yeah. I have faith that it will. I mean, because even, even if you look at places like China, I mean, they have workarounds, they use VPN and they use all this stuff. So like uh, people want, people need this. And I think as a society, as humanity, we're going to figure out ways to make that happen. And, I hope so. Um, yeah. I don't know if they, I'm, I'm assuming you remember the whole net neutrality thing. When that oh, happened. I was going to bring that up, but I do. <laughs> that has, there's a lot of variables, right? With the government, and corruption, and like, <laughs> Reddit. <laughs> yes. A lot of Reddit. good things, a lot of bad things. I, I get it. But I do I'm talking like maybe four or five years, maybe ten years. I don't know. I do have faith in humanity that we will figure it out. We I should I have a recap podcast in the next ten years. I know, right? I, I think we're again there's that tug of war going on right now between the change makers and yes. the people resisting. And until we get more of the resisting people to cycle through government more or you, less well that's what you I, that's what you got and that's my point of yeah. view too it's it's an age thing though too like eventually you know gen x and others are going to be uh, gen z is going to be in power right you know? as you get well, older it, as i get older we'll be more in power we'll be running those companies it's it's a it that that interview that congress did with mark zuckerberg i think back to that oh, that, that was, is a that wow. is a testament to how little the current people in power from both sides oh yes and the internet and any of that when 
I, I still cannot believe that they didn't understand and ask the question how it made money. Yeah. And you could tell Mark was sitting there. He, you could tell he was lit. He, I, oh, I, he's I, like rolling I, his I, eyes. I, yeah. He was, he was probably just sitting there like, I know I screwed up, but really this is the people that I have to testify in front of. They don't yep. understand what I do. I could tell them that I own a unicorn that types on a keyboard and they probably believe it. Yeah. A hundred percent. I just, I love the response. Why Senator? we we sell ads yeah it's like <laughs> uh yeah oh. it, that was horrible man I don't know, but that, it shows it shows the level of where our current leaders are and i yeah. think as we get younger people in there or people from you know millennial yeah. younger gen xers and and gen z I, i'm i'm hopeful that we'll start to see more of a a positive change in various yeah. areas when it comes to all this and in many ways we could look at it from a very positive perspective that that happened because now people like you and me are talking about it and people maybe, yeah, I mean, you and I are probably bad examples because we're out here in the world talking about it, evangelizing, creating content. But I hope that there is someone in the world, regardless of the age that saw this and was like, shit, <laughs> I didn't know this was happening. Right. This kind of uncovered everything. Right. Like yes, if that didn't happen, we would have gone through like, no, they get it. Of course they get Facebook. Right. Like, duh. Or even like, even if you don't understand what Facebook is, you, only, you could understand business models, right? We sell ads and views and eyeballs to companies for information, blah, 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 right? Like, we were just like, everyone gets it, but now we actually right. saw, right? Well, so that's a positive. Crazy, it's crazy to think, too, you know, with how long social media has been around for about, you know, almost between at, 10 years for sure, I think, sure, you know, definitely. 2008, nine as well. Yeah, I mean, there's always, uh, coming from the social media world, there's a lot of people that argue this a lot, like message boards and news groups. Going yeah. Through, like, but That's like social media, technically. But social media as we know it today, yes. Right. And it, it still boggles me how many companies still aren't even on social media. Yeah. And here you and I are talking about AI and you know, I'm doing all these talks on voice. And, and there's people who haven't even wrapped their mind around social media yet or no. understand the value of, of social media. I mean, I was pitching a, a, a client. I'm still in the pitching process, but you know, she's a younger person, but she totally did not understand the value of digital and social media and still thought that allocating money towards commercials and sure. things of that sort were the way to go. And I'm like, Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there is still a time and a place for those other traditional right. medias, but yeah, not understanding the, the value is something that I still run into, but I do look at it as an opportunity for myself and it's like we're evangelists, right? We have the opportunity now to teach that person. And luckily that person is going to you versus someone else, right? Right. So, and I just, but that's one example I've, I've come but across. I agree. I see that all the time. Still don't understand social media. And I mean, so my, my full-time job, so I think I told you I work full-time and then I run my company. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So my full-time job is in transportation. Talk about the most archaic industry that it currently exists in the United States or I mean, the company, the industry that's probably going to be impacted by the most from AI. Yes. That's going to be impacted the most by these technologies, but, but seriously talking about the most antiquated archaic industry that we have in this country. Um, you know, before my company got bought out, you know, I was working for a company, you know, of, of 200 people. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's just kind of unheard of in, transportation and trucking even today to have somebody doing digital marketing yeah. and working on a digital a digital marketing strategy and doing all that and and my boss took a risk and 
was like, you know, I, I know nothing about this space, but I know you do. Let's yeah. give it a go and started mm-hmm. seeing results from it. And he's involved in this national organization and, you know, people are seeing our stuff and they're like, how are you doing that? He's Amazing. like, well, we have a, a digital marketer. We have a marketer, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and I do a lot more than digital marketing for them, but um, it's just, it's just interesting to see how antiquated that industry is. And when you show them the power of this stuff, it's like their brains get splattered all over the wall. Yep. You know, I mean, you know, I know all the metrics, I know how to produce content. I know all this stuff. And when you're showing it to people who are a part of such an antiquated industry, it's, they just can't believe it. And then sure. I'll see that. And you actually become more valuable because they're like, Oh, well you're doing fantastic there. Clearly nobody else in this industry knows what to do. Yeah. So, so you know, <laughs> yeah, I get it. And think about all the industries that we don't even think about that are still that antiquated. All right. Like manufacturing. Um, yeah. Is, is one of the big ones. Um, honestly, the food service industry. Sure. That's true too. I'm very behind in a lot of areas. So um, I think a lot of B2B always, I think falls a bit behind more than the B2C companies do, Yeah, certainly, which makes sense because, you know, as you know, being in marketing, how you approach another business for business versus how you approach a consumer yeah, is entirely totally. different. In fact, I will vow to saying, I think, you know, consumer facing stuff is way easier, 10 times easier than it is to another business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've just I've just found that interesting that you know we're, we're, we talk about all this stuff but, but there's so many different industries and so many different companies are still haven't grasped you know the basics of social media and why that's important. Sure, and those are the ones that are going to be left behind. Right, I say the ROI of social media is your company will still be around in the next five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's a it's a hundred percent sure, and even uh, the evolution of social media and that's becoming even more paid media now. You know, when it comes to social media, the one of the things I always, as an evangelist, I always talk about people is, with people is that um, social media is not Facebook. Social media right. is not Twitter, right? Social media is every kind of communication platform that we have, right? Slack is a bit of social media. There are plenty of our marketing Slack channels. I bet you there are plenty of like AI Slack channels, you know, Telegram, Discord, right? Those are all yep. social media channels. And we need to stop thinking of them as, as Facebook and Twitter as just social media. Yes. I think uh, I was going to say, for the record, I, I got that from socialnomics just so I don't get sued. <laughs> the ROI of social media is your business will be wrong. Okay. I'm sorry. No, no. I mean, heck, you, you should have just said six years and then you would have been fine. <laughs> but I wholeheartedly agree with you. One of the things, so I, I did was I was part of a AI startup for a while. And one of the things that I loved is that we were actually talking to some companies in the Midwest. And they said they wanted to invest in AI because they had harder times getting talent. Yes. Right? Like all the talent goes to like the major cities, obviously Chicago, goes LA. goes west or east. Exactly, right? Then they're like, we need to invest in AI now. Like the John Deere's of the world and things like that. Like this needs to happen because we're not recruiting these people. These people are not coming here. I used to live in Des Moines, Iowa. And I know even some of the rural cities around Des Moines, Iowa, they're having a hard time getting dentists doctors, things like that. And obviously their jobs are dwindling. They need to focus on AI. So I, I did love seeing that they, those companies, the ones that you probably wouldn't think about are using AIs or farmers using AIs. They're using drones to like land, to look at the landscape and tell AI like where to plant seeds and not. I'm like, 
that's amazing. That's super cool. It is. And I was just having actually a discussion with, with my boss and my full-time job about this the other day where, you know, everybody's, you know, wants to go to the coast or we all think everything happens on the coast, but mm-hmm. if you really sit and think about it. Think of all the hard work comes out of the Midwest and almost the Midwest yeah. is kind of actually where everything happens in yeah. a way. Um, you know, I, I was told in, in college that, you know, if you go to apply to a job, on the East coast or the West coast that you're actually looked at more favorably mm. because people on the coast have this like image in their mind that everybody who comes from the Midwest is a farmer. I'm from New and, Jersey. You know, like, I get that. Yeah. And, you know, like <laughs> farmers, you know, they could roll up their sleeves, you know, they're hard workers. They'll, they'll sure. get the job done. Yeah. But I thought that was actually really interesting. I'm like, you know what though? That actually makes a lot of sense. Well, I'll tell you a story. So at 360 I, I was sitting at my desk, someone new started, who now today is like a sister to me. And I turned around, I'm like, hey, where are you from? She says, Iowa. I'm like, Carrie, I'm going to tell you right now, that's someplace I will never go. (laughs) Fast forward like seven years later, I live there. (laughs) (laughs) And I started actually dating her sister. (laughs) Who would have thought, right? Yeah. And then when uh, when I started dating her sister... I remember us hanging out in San Francisco and walking by a map randomly. And she's like, Hey, where's Iowa? And I'm like, Oh man. <laughs> Bam. She's like, Nope. I'm like, she's like, pick, try again. I'm like, okay. No, nope. I was like, come on, man. I mean, the chances of me getting one right should have been better. It's yeah. somewhere in the middle. <laughs> and, uh, but now I've lived in the Midwest for two years, I have a different respect and a different view, and I'm so happy to have gotten that experience and meet some of the most amazing people in the world that work yeah. hard, that are so intelligent. There's also, unfortunately, in the, the coasters, right? They're like, you know, they also think they're not as smart, or just because you have an accent, even from right. the south, all of a sudden you're not as smart or something. And I try very hard to just correct all those people. Like the questions I'd get, like, hey, would you? Do you have to drive like five hours to go to the Walmart? I'm like, no. Like, where do you get like? Do you do you get like chicken out there? I'm like, what do you think? We live in the desert. No, I I I I get the same thing when I I go to different conferences and stuff. And it, it, I'll openly admit, like, I I cannot stand winter. If there is one thing that I do not like, it's yeah. winter. Thus, I live in Madison, Wisconsin. But I'll be open. I I really do want to move to a coast. I really have my sights sure. in Seattle at some. Uh, some point sooner than later, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But there, you know, it, people are just nice in the Midwest. I, you know, I've been to both coasts, and I will say as much as I've enjoyed them. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not looping anybody into a group in general. Yeah, because I was going to say I'm, I'm from Jersey. Yeah, I don't fight the stigma though, too, because my yeah. ex girlfriend would be like, "Hey, you know, it's like you're from the Midwest," and I'm like, I could name hundreds of people from New Jersey yeah. and New York that are just like I am. Yeah. You know what I mean? mean, Like, I I think it felt more natural for me to be on a coast because I, you know, I was in New York city for a conference and like, as I was walking around, checking out new things, it was like, okay, everybody's got somewhere to be like, and that's how just, I think naturally. So to me, it was like, this is freaking awesome. Sure. Everybody is thinking like I do, but then like in the Midwest, it's like, everything is, it's not slower. It's just people are, Slower is not necessarily a bad term, though. I think sometimes that's one of the reasons I did want to move to Des Moines because I did want a slower pace. 
people are are more cognizant. Not the people are slower, but like the pace yeah. is slower. People are more cognizant of life around them as opposed yeah. to their bubble. You got if it. That makes sense. No, that does make sense. Here's the funny thing is, though, everyone loves talking about New York. Have you ever met anybody from Manhattan? They're far and few between. Everyone's from everywhere else. <laughs> I noticed that when I was there. Okay. I, like I just told the story, Carrie, who is one of the best marketers in the world, she ran a lot of major brands for 360i, works at Facebook right now. She's from Des Moines, Iowa. All right. Like, no <laughs> yeah. And everyone I worked with was from somewhere else. I'm from, I'm technically, I'm not even from New York. I'm from New Jersey. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I, people, yeah, I noticed that. And I, I noticed that when I was in Seattle too, the past two times is everybody I met was a transplant. Like I, it was very hard pressed for me to find somebody who actually grew up there. Yeah, which is actually how I defend the Midwest, though, too, because I used to work with agencies in Des Moines, like just either hanging out with them and different entrepreneurs and stuff. And they're like, I'm having a hard time getting the business. I'm like, dude, you are in an amazing place. You just need to make sure that they understand why they need to hire you. Overhead is low. That's number one, right? Number two, the prices are lower. Now, number two, those people in New York that you're working with are from Des Moines anyway or from Wisconsin anyway. They're from the Midwest or they're from the South or something, so. Yeah, exactly. They weren't growing up in Manhattan. You know what I mean? It's very hard to grow up in Manhattan because of the money situation. Right. Exactly. You know, it's it's unless, very hard to... Unless life dumps you in that that, that area, it's hard to, to get into that. But it's interesting too. So, you know, when we think of all the tech companies, we think of Silicon Valley, we think of you sure. know, San Francisco, we think of LA, we think of um, you know, Northern California, we think of Mountain View and then yeah. you think of Seattle and all these places, but actually, um, Austin, Texas, oh, yeah, Austin, like Texas. very quickly from what I've been reading, becoming the next like tech hub, Silicon Valley ish type area. Yeah, so is Denver and Boulder. Google just really, I see, I didn't know that. Yep, Google just built out a huge campus here. Twitter has major offices here, like pretty much any big Zoom is based here, which was what we're using right now. I talk. did not know that. I did not know Zoom was based in, in Colorado. Yep. They're based here in, in Denver um, and countless other companies. So they're quickly becoming. Actually, I moved right before I moved here. I saw a sign saying, hey, are you from San Francisco? Move here. We're less expensive. <laughs> no, it's true. And I, I, you know, I, you know, I get why the tech companies settled out there, but I, I think they're finally starting to realize that because of how high the cost of living is, Yes. And just, you know, you, you start locking yourself in a talent pool there that you, you don't really get too much diversification that you got it. Maybe stretching your legs a bit isn't the worst thing. You got it. And, and I, um, cheap in Texas, I've, I've heard it, it's very cheap in Texas to live and, right. um, you know, for businesses to, to kind of to lay their roots there a bit, you know, we know the Midwest is cheaper than normal. We know the South is, is relatively cheap. So yeah. And you have happier people because they have more access to outdoor things. They have the ability to have bigger spaces, you know, like what I used to pay for like a studio in Jersey was over $2,000. I believe it. You know what I mean? And like, I shared a wall with like every direction, you know, yeah, so I, even if I, I had I, to pay, sorry. Yeah, I was, no, I was going to say, I recently read that in San Francisco um, oh, forget if you earn a hun- yeah, if you earn a hundred thousand dollars a year, yeah, technically within the city limits, you are considered to be in poverty. Yes, that's crazy. Yes. That, that how crazy! So I've seen shacks crazy. online, like for sale, like a shack that was costing like over a million dollars. Like that's this is ridiculous. Crazy. I'm like, I don't know. Like, yeah. So 
when it comes to all that kind of stuff, I know that Colorado is really focused, even on AI, even from like a cryptocurrency perspective, they were very open and are very open. Some of the banks here, like Wells Fargo here actually accepts businesses, at least they used to because they were working with our business back in the day. I always like to stick up for the Midwest. I always like to stick up for the South because there are, are so many incredible, passionate people out there. And the bubble situation that you mentioned is the most dangerous thing that's happening in America. We have people in New York that don't think about Iowa. We have people in Iowa that don't think about New York and so on and so on. Absolutely. And then you got, you know, the real South, you know, the, the uh, Georgia and well, actually Atlanta's doing pretty well, but like, you know, the rural parts of Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's stuff going on there. But when you think about those places, you don't really think about much of anything. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's magical though, because think about it, like here in Colorado, I could be out in the mountains in like 10 minutes and I could work, walk to a WeWork in five minutes and I'm walking through a beautiful stream, river, all that. So I'm overall happier than having to stay on a bus, <laughs> you know, yeah. go in a subway, all that kind of good stuff. So I feel like the work I produce out here is better because my mind is a lot clearer out here. No, I, I, I believe you. And it, it, it's interesting too. So Arizona actually seems to be becoming a very large test hub for a bunch of different technologies. Yeah. Well, I know the cars, right? That the was a cars, big, yeah. um, the cars were, and then actually, so not to go off into a totally another sort of topic here, but um, have you heard of the, the former company called Theranos? Theranos? Yes, they okay. were the unicorn and now getting in trouble. Yeah. And, yes. um, so I actually just today watched the HBO documentary. Okay, I haven't seen it. I saw the interview. On, on Theranos. And if you get the chance, watch it. Um, you know, we could probably go up. We could probably have a whole podcast on the whole fake it to make a thing in Silicon Valley right now and everything. And just in general with, with technology. But anyhow, so when they were initially, when they got a deal with Walgreens, mm -hmm. they... Um, opened up a bunch of, you know, clinics within, within Walgreens. And it was interesting. I thought that they were doing it in Arizona. Oh, interesting. Like Elizabeth Holmes had actually lobbied the Arizona state legislature to let her do this. Um, because before you, you know, you need a prescription to get a blood test. Of course. Yeah. So with, with the device that they were creating, you know, anybody could order a blood test at any time. So she had yeah, to lobby like a drop of blood. Yeah. So you had to lobby the state government in order to get them. So like you or I could just walk into a Walgreens and be like, well, I want this blood test. I want this yeah. blood test and, and all that stuff. So I, I thought that was interesting that Arizona was kind of used as, as the test spot for that too. But I didn't know that. Uh, watch, watch that documentary to get a chance. It, it is. Oh, I a hundred percent will. I forgot if it was on like CNN or MSNBC or something. She was being inter interviewed. Yes. I saw those. Lying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I don't get it. I mean, the company was valued at, I think $9 billion. Yeah, it was a unicorn, right? Yeah, it was valued at $9 billion. And I think their total revenue was a couple hundred thousand. So it was all investor money. Um, and they were lying to people about what they could do. Yeah. And now her and her COO are currently getting sued by the U.S. government for fraud and conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, as just because of who I am, and even uh, I can say I know 
based on who you are, because when you said the five-year thing, you're like, wait, I got to give credit for that, right? Like, how do yeah. you go throughout life just, like, completely lying like that? It's, how, it's, I can't even imagine it. I'm the first I, person to be like, I don't know about that. I don't yeah. know. This is how this works. <laughs> I equate it to we all, in a, in, a, in a weird way, have our own reality distortion field, but there's a people who, yeah, who take it to a new level. Yeah. Um, her and that fire festival guy think should sure. be the crown queen and king of that. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's unfortunate. He's from Jersey and I'm like, oh, darn, come on. Oh, Billy, Billy McFarland's from Jersey. Yeah. He's, yeah, he, he's Billy McFarland's from Jersey. And I'm like, Oh, come on, man. In the Netflix and the Hulu documentaries, they never said where he was from. I yeah. He was in New York for quite a while, but yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He was in New York. Basically that's where he did all his bu- business stuff. Yeah. For those that can't see me, <laughs> I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> but like, talk about two people who used the power of the technologies that we have available to us to fraud so many people. Sure. And I think AI would have been able to support the investors, right? In some way or another, right? Looking at all the systems. If Obviously, I mean, I'm talking about years in the future, right? If all the financial systems were connected and they were like, voice recognition and pattern recognition software all being integrated together. AI would have been like, probably, probably would have spotted something, but in, instead, you know, there's nothing like a true con artist. And uh, the, both of these individuals just so happen to be masters at that. Yeah. Well, and, I think, to, sorry. No, I, I was, I was, so, technology is helping with this. This is something I, I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast. He's like, he loves the internet so much now because actually con artists, and obviously there are hundreds of cons happening online, obviously. Right. But more and more when back in the day, someone might be able to say like, yeah, the Olympics were this. And like in the eighties, you'd be like, all right, cool. Right. Cause you weren't going to go to the library to look it up. Now, right. if you were like the Olympics were whenever I could go, I'm like, Nick, you were wrong. <laughs> exactly. You know, but I think the internet and all this technology has given rise to more con artists because if you look at Fire Festival, the only reason that happened and yeah. got to the point it was was because of Instagram. You know. Well, so yes and no. So I actually I give a bunch of speaks. Uh, oh, you do? I yeah, on the Fire Festival. Let's talk about it. So actually, it wasn't successful. So per the the sales deck that they have, they wanted to sell forty thousand tickets. They sold uh-huh. eight thousand tickets. Actually, when we talked last, you did mention this to me. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, please, please. It's totally fine. I, uh, yeah, so I've done a lot of research on them. I actually do influencer marketing now and, you know, my background is in social media. So, but they weren't successful. That's one of the biggest misconceptions. And uh, I could actually share the, I'll share, I'll share their sales deck with you. Yeah, right? please that's do. You. You said, we're going to hit 40,000 tickets. Yeah, the, well, that's cool to know because in either of those documentaries, they didn't, they were just focusing on, you know, the influencer marketing campaign and sure. what actually did to get people there. They didn't actually say how many tickets they sold and, and you know what. No, I didn't go into that, right? Because that's not a sensational, right? That's not as no. cool. Like, they actually failed, right? It, so, social media and influencer did get people there. Right. 100%. But even if you look at, if you analyze their social media strategy and their influencer marketing strategy, like someone with a couple of months of experience could have done way better. Which is funny because fuck Jerry's the one that did it. Yeah. You, do you know the, <laughs> this about Netflix though? They were the producers on the, on yes, that. I, after watching both of them, I learned that fuck Jerry was the one who produced the Netflix one. And then I was like looking back at the Hulu one and I'm like, that would explain why the Hulu one was like really raw and factual yeah. and did not seem so entertainment E compared to the Netflix one. Yeah. And I love that you said that though too, because actual, 
a lot of people, actually, a lot of people come back against me. They're like, I don't like the Netflix one because they paid him to be on it. I'm like, but they didn't hold back. No. Like, they asked them questions like, hey, you were a con artist, right? Pretty much, right? I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember exactly what they said. But, and he's just like, so whether yeah. they paid him to be on there or not, they didn't hold back. No, no, they didn't. And it, it was just, I, I was fascinated by the whole thing. I loved it, yeah. Which is why I think you'll really enjoy. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, which is why I really think you'll enjoy this one on Theranos because they they do the same thing where they dive into the craziness that was Elizabeth Holmes and mm-hmm. the fact that she was able to get nine hundred million dollars in investor funding. <laughs> Crazy. My friend, actually, one of my closest friends and uh, someone I collaborate a lot on, on marketing projects, he actually almost got a job there. Really? I don't remember why he, it didn't end up happening, but he actually just texted me, I think literally two days ago. He's like, thank God I didn't go there. <laughs> yeah. And it's just crazy because you see like they have these massive buildings and all this equipment. And then oh, yeah. when they go down, it's just everything's an empty shell at that point. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't exist anymore. And all those people lost their time. It's just, it's, it's crazy that the lengths that somebody will go to prove to themselves that something's working when it really isn't. And, you know, yep. Elizabeth Holmes, she was like fortune's woman of the year. Oh, I know she was everywhere. She was on the cover of all these different magazines. She met the president. She was meeting billionaire investors. Like she, talk about somebody who had the most legit network I think I've ever seen ever, but yet she was running the most fraudulent, one of the most fraudulent companies in my opinion, since Enron. Yeah. It's, Crazy. What's interesting though about the Fire Festival thing for, uh, I don't know when I'm going to release this podcast, but actually on Tuesday of this week, I'm recording the podcast with someone who actually worked. Uh, he runs the agents and agents oh, yes. actually oh, worked on there. So cool. So he's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see, but I, I do think that AI could have helped somewhere here in the future. And obviously I can't put the horse before the cart or the cart before the horse, but, um, I do think that AI could have played a part, at least by seeing where the money was going and what was definitely coming out of it. And even from a marketing perspective, AI is helping so much. I love AI and when it comes to marketing because I see the impact that it's making for me as a marketer, for clients I have. One of the biggest things that I'm seeing right now, and what I'm mostly interested in as Leo, the marketer and the consultant, is I love that AI gives me recommendations. I'm not at the point in marketing where I want the AI or I think the AI is really good enough to just do it for me. But I like that it gives me options or it gives me the ability to think about things. Yes. And differently. I don't know if I filled you in, but I too am a marketer at heart. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, for me, it's even the simple tools like Grammarly, like I love Grammarly. Discover Grammarly. I don't even know why until recently, but like it's changed how, I write my content now because it catches things that, you know, and we all go through, you know, our schooling and we think like, Oh, I know English, but then you, you're, you're typing and Grammarly catches something like, Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is passive. I'm like, what (laughs) What do you mean? You know, but it it integrates with all the social media platforms for the most part and, and, and website content. So it it makes it, it seamless to, to kind of work with that stuff, which is something we never had before, but you know, that, that's a simple AI tool that we as marketers now have. And actually, I'm going to be speaking in, in Chicago in May on AI and, and social media. And, and I'm going to be talking about some of the different tools that we have. And one of them um, I've actually been looking into a bit more. It's called Lumen5. I don't know if you've heard of it. 
I want to say yes, but I just feel like I've heard of them. What do they do? Yeah, so so Lumen Five is a is an AI platform. Well, AI platform. I mean, it, essentially it is, but um, it's all cloud based. And what it does is you upload like a blog post. Okay. Um, the AI sifts through the blog and then actually creates a video. Oh, interesting. The content of the blog, like with relevant images, relevant videos. Interesting. Um, so you can turn any blog into a video. And this and is accessible now? Like I could do it for the yes, Build Inspire blog? Sign up for a free account and start using it today. Oh, wow. That's pretty interesting. By the way, also, I, I would love to put on the show notes any place you're speaking. So oh, when absolutely. I release this, so everyone yes. can go hear you speak and especially with your TED Talk and everything that's... Yes, I will, I will share that with you in the show. Um, but yeah, so, so Lumen5 is a, is a really interesting tool. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of data um, analytics tools for AI that I could get into, but, but there are so many of them right now. Sure. I, I think the real value you know, with AI and specifically content marketing and social media is just going to be, like you said, recommendations. Yep. You know, instead of trying to guess what the customer wants, we're going to know what they need. Yep. And that's going to help us generate more effective and targeted content through recommendation, through things like Grammarly, um, video production, all of it we're, we're it. going to know. And as a matter of fact, there's it's, some of the stuff's really creepy. Um, <laughs> what I'm is aware, it? Yeah. Uh, Deep Face, I think it's called. Deep Face, um, okay. it can use CGI and AI to generate any face that that's put into it. Have you heard about this? Yes. Well, actually the reason I heard about it was to talk, they were talking about, I think on the Joe Rogan podcast about porn. Yeah. They, they were um, putting the faces of celebrities on porns. They did one of Obama and Trump that was almost indistinguishable from the real person. And as a matter of fact, there was this website. So Adobe had come up with um, this facial recognition software and somebody ripped a version of it. Um, and turned it into like a, a, a free version, but they just turned it into a website. So right. I, what I, do, I need to go back and look at what the website's called. It may not even be active anymore, but what it would do is you go to the website. Every time you went to the website, it would generate a person's face, oh, but it was a face that has never existed before. I, so I posted about this. Yeah. Because it was scary. AI that was, you know, had databased all these different photos and was scouring the internet for photos and it would systematically put together a human face yep. from the photos. And I will be honest with you, Leo, they, they looked, it was a human face. Yeah. I actually I tweeted mean, about this about whenever, whenever it came out like two months yeah, ago or whatever. It was I, a I tweeted face that, that didn't picture. exist. It, yeah. It didn't exist. It How was, crazy is that? Yeah, yeah, I saw them. At first, I thought the pictures, I'm like, I'm going to be able to tell. Like, I was cocky. And then I looked at them like, nope. Yep. Well, Adobe also came out with, um, and I forget what this was called, too. I I don't know if you're into YouTube much, but Shane Dawson did, like, a documentary on this a bit. No. Um, But Adobe came out with this, this voice recognition platform where it, you know, you, you say a couple of sentences into the AI and it reproduces your exact voice to a T. Wow. I, didn't, <laughs> I heard about that. I never used it. What I do use, I use AI a lot, even for the podcast. So after this, I'll transcribe this and I use an AI tool to transcribe and it's like 95% correct. Yeah. And even, yeah, I don't, I don't know which one to use, but I'll say even like the YouTube one that you YouTube one is good too. Yeah. I use Trent. Pretty good. But, yeah. um, it, it's crazy. And, and that's where we're at with it right now. So as we've been talking about, when you think about where we're going to be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, 
Oh, it's in the, it's you're, like you said earlier, like there's no way to imagine it. There's, there's just really not like all the possibilities and all the amazing things that are going to happen. What's interesting though, what you were talking about the, the face and the voice. Now we need another AI tool to detect that fraud. Yes. Right. <laughs> the AI to beat the AI. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One question I wanted to ask you, speaking about like evil AIs and all that kind of good stuff. One of my most popular tweets for a long time was one when I was like asking people what the good robots were that they loved in movies. Because everyone loves to talk about Terminator. Everyone loves to talk about all these other terrible AIs. Do you have a favorite good robot from movies or TV? Oh boy, that's a question. Uh, <laughs> Wally was a pretty good robot. Wally was good. My favorite, and I don't know if you know it, but uh, it's uh, Johnny Five. No. You don't know Johnny Five from Short Circuit? All right. I'll, I'll put it on the show notes soon. I'll send you a link to the movie. <laughs> I can't talk for the movie. Obviously, I saw it when I was younger and when I was a little kid, so I'm not saying it holds up, but that was my favorite. Yeah. No, I'll, yeah. I'll look into that one. I'm trying to think of some more. Um, that robot from iRobot with Will Smith. I yeah. Can't remember what the it's one that helps him at the end, actually, the one that fights the other AI. Right. That one was, he was pretty good. I'd like to say the robot from Ex Machina, but I can't say that if you've seen the movie. Um, I did. I did. Uh, That's the one where he had her like in the basement or something. Yeah. And then she ultimately, I won't ruin, I won't spoil it for people if you haven't seen it, but it's, the the ending is pretty interesting. I can't really call her a good. Oh, I I know it too. How long ago was it? Because I think spoiler alert rules are gone. If it's like more than three, is it more than three years old? I think so. Yeah. All right, we could talk about it. He was the robot. The guy, right? Wasn't oh, like... Actually, she... So they were trying to do the Turing test on... Um, uh, who was the guy from... from who was the guy who in the new Star Wars movies that... Um, I know you're talking about. The guy who... He's the, he was like the CEO, right? Oscar Isaac. Yes, yes. So Oscar Isaac was the CEO of that company. And... He, he brought that guy in from his company to do the turn like a coder yep. uh, to do the Turing test on on the AI robot he built but in reality you know they were going through this whole process to determine if it was sentient and everything and at the ending it, it just it the, the the AI and the robot I, f- I forgot what what the name was forgive me but she was playing him the whole time so she could escape uh, and then she ultimately at the end she killed, stabbed him or something yeah, yeah she killed oscar isaac and she locked um the guy who was doing all the testing in like this secured room so he couldn't get out i don't know what Crazy. i was thinking then. i don't know <laughs> i was just making up endings but i did see it that's Super that is a good movie and i i didn't expect it to be that good i heard good things but i was like this is probably the most accurate depiction of what this could be like sure. than anything i've seen or her do you like yeah. her Oh, her with Joaquin Phoenix. To be honest, I've actually I've never actually sat through the whole movie. Yeah, um, I couldn't tell you specifics, but I do remember it being like just very interesting. Yeah, the the one video that I use in, in a lot of the talks I give is uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey with the HAL 9000. I'm actually I I've seen many clips, but I actually never saw that. Funny enough, even though I use it in my talks, I also have not sat through the whole movie. But, yeah, you know, I always reference the HAL 9000 because. You know, in 1968, that was the first exposure that the public had gotten to "quote unquote" robot or AI. Yeah, that could that could be sentient, and and the exposure they got was something that wanted to kill all of us. I remember that. I remember there's that famous scene where they're like covering their mouths or something like that because it knows that the eyeball. 
that was yep. so well shot. Like it was, and actually, interesting enough, and I share this in my talks too that that movie, directed by Stanley Kubrick, has actually been inducted into the Library of Congress as a part of our cinematic history. It it is wow. regarded as one of the the greatest movies ever ever made. So how come we haven't seen it? We need to watch those. Things. I know. I actually need to sit through it, but. It, um, kind of circling back, so the Hell Nine Thousand was the first, the first thing that that a lot of people saw when it when it came to AI and robotics. So mm. you know, throughout our our culture here, through you know the past uh, you know twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years, yeah, people are, are have this notion that AI is just this bad thing because when you set the stage with something like that, I mean, what are you supposed to think? So I always tell people I'm like, this is what pop culture says it is. And I'm going to blow your mind with what it actually is. <laughs> yeah. And, and how much actually is there already around us? Exactly. Yeah. So if a company, let's say a B2B company, let's just focus on that for a second. If a B2B company wanted to start an AI tomorrow, what would be your recommendation? And it could be maybe hiring your company or a company like yours. Yeah, I would, I would say, you know, don't just jump into it. Um, that's the worst thing you could do because you know, even though these tools seem so prevalent right now and, you know, they're popularized and everybody knows they exist, unless there's an actual reason that you're going to use it, then it may not be practical for you. So I would recommend, you know, sitting down with an internal team first and deciding, okay, here's the pain that we're trying to solve. Is this something that AI or voice can actually help us help us fix for our customers? Interesting. Um, and you know, I, I say customer in both B two B and B two C. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that's something that needs to be done first, and then if you do that analysis, and you and you decide yes, this this is something that we need to benefit from, then you come to somebody like me, and they're like, okay, well, how do we do this? What are the benefits of you know voice voice search, um, mm -hmm. getting on these different platforms, and then we help you figure that out, and ultimately what you need and and the tools you need to do so. So. Amazing. One of the, the biggest case studies that I've seen, and I'd love to see if you're seeing anything different or, or know about this from a research perspective, is just data mining and data analytics, right? Where, you know, the mountains of data that exists out there would take sometimes humans like thousands of years to look at, where machine learning could actually look at within hours or days. I think that's the biggest pain point I've been seeing from just being out there and working in this space. Is that something similar that you've been seeing or... I mean, a bit. Um, I would say the biggest pain points, again, are the people who are decision makers. Sure. Don't really understand how it's going to make the money yet. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what I try and sell, because now we're, I like using the word sell too, what I'm trying yeah. to sell is, you know, you don't really have a lot of use cases now of it generating, you know, here's the number from you know, here's, here's one person using it and here's how much money they brought in. Mm -hmm. But the value is, is almost like social media and that's where people are going to be spending their time. I see. Um, the value is you, we have a one-to-one -one engagement with technology that mm -hmm. we've never had before, you know, where in the past we've been, you know, driving the technology to get to do what we want. But now we actually have a feedback loop that we can engage with. And, you know, when you're constantly top of mind for somebody, you know, when they go to use your product or service or have to make a purchasing decision, you're probably going to be the one that they think of. That's fair. So from a voice standpoint, you know, little kids, there, there's a lot of different studies coming out now about how, you know, little kids interacting with Alexa and Google Assistant, how that's changing their brain chemistry and how they view technology. Yeah. Little kids who are going up to TVs thinking that they can talk to it. 
Yeah, I've seen and kids why, swipe TVs. Yes, and why yeah. shouldn't they think that, you know? Yeah, because it's everywhere. So, you know, what I'm saying is, you know, if, if you're able to be a part of that technology early on from that very young development, and if that child is already interacting with your brand as a, as a young kid, think of the brand loyalty that that's going to create as they True. become an adult. You know, think of... You know, think of how that's going to change their purchasing decisions as they become older. Um, and even adults, too, when they're using, you know, for example, Tide has a, a stain remover app for Alexa. Um, you know, Tide is constantly giving you uh, results on how to how to carry out something, how mm -hmm. how to fix a stain. When you go to the grocery store, you know, that's just how human human psychology works. Sure. You know, if, if you're constantly already interacting with somebody and you see the brand that you've been interacting with, you're more than likely going to go with that brand. Yeah, yeah. You know? and, and that's the sell that I've been giving is until we get those concrete numbers, this is the value. And I know it probably doesn't seem apparent right now, but it will. Yeah. Um, and the other sell I'm giving is the way we search for things is going to fundamentally change. Um, by 2020, you know, 50% of all search is going to be over voice. So my other sell is, you know, you need to start optimizing your content on the web and mm -hmm. how you produce content in general for searchability over voice, because that's only yeah. going to grow. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a huge, huge market for voice search in general. And I, I, I would almost bet on it that, you know, Alexa and Google and Cortana are going to start leveraging paid voice search because... Yeah, you know the difference between a web uh, a search engine results page versus voice is you get a list of you know how many different search results on Google or Bing. Mm -hmm. With voice, you get one shot. Yeah, um, interesting. So in essence, it's it's going to be even more difficult, and it's going to even be more important and specialized that you rank first consistently. Of course, yeah, right. Because I'm feeling lucky button. Exactly. And companies are going to pay out the ass for this because that's the goal right now is to always be the first in a search listing. So yeah. everything that, you know, those of us in the voice community and, you know, what I'm working on, it, it's a waiting game right now. We're, we're, we're trying to produce as much content as we can and mm -hmm. make our names known, you know, because when the time comes and it will come, yeah, we're going to be the people that organizations think of first to, sure. to hop on board. And, I was just chatting with my friend Scott um, today and he was talking with somebody and, and the most recent estimate is that voice is going to be a $300 billion industry in the next wow. five years. Wow. Um, so, yeah. It's not going anywhere at all. Obviously. I don't know. I don't know if anybody ever thinks that, that it is going to go away, but no, this isn't not. a fad people. This is, this is here to yeah. stay. I tell people that too. I used to, they used to always ask me what like blockchain and AI. Those are like the two questions I used to get when it came to like my technology talks or even uh, teaching. And I'm like, blockchain is changing the world, but that's probably more of a fad than yeah. AI. AI is all around us right now. Yep. Going to change everything. It's changing everything now. Like, and I, I, know a fair amount of, I know a fair amount of blockchain too. And I think you're right where we're at right now with it. It's, it's a lot of fadness. Yes. Um, I think as more people hop into the space and actually begin to leverage it for important things like smart contracts and as it embeds itself more in the financial institutions, yeah. I think we'll finally see it take hold. But I would agree with you right now. I think the crypto thing kind of blew it out of proportion and people are trying to bring the pieces back together for what it actually was meant to be. Agreed. And, and not, that, not to belittle blockchain at all. I do know, I realize like for like 
documents and social proof and, and, you know, transactions. And there are places across the world that could definitely benefit and will benefit from blockchain. But like AI is like, I'd say like this blockchain is changing the world. And I know people can't see me that are listening to it, but like, you know, a little <laughs> bit lower. And then all of a sudden, like AI is like hundred times higher than that as far as like what the impact yes. is. Absolutely. And and because at the end of the day, actually, once you have AI and you have a sophisticated AI system that can verify everything, you actually don't need blockchain. Is that a fair statement? I would say so. I think there's aspects of blockchain that um, aren't going to go away because I think there's just something about that cryptography that was developed that that no one else can can replicate. But um, I do think you'll have a lot of check and balance AIs and, and different things monitoring various systems and stuff as we move forward. But yeah, yeah I, I think as you and I have been talking about that this stuff is here to stay. And, you know, if, if you're one of those people who are resisting the change and are thinking, I want it to go away, it'll go away. It's not. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> the, so, age, the age of technology is upon us and it's only going to get larger and quicker. Yes. I mean, it's only, it's the fastest ever. Technology has never changed or progressed as fast as it is today. No. And it's only getting uh, faster. Have you heard of uh, Moore's law? Yeah. With the processing law, like we will get faster. Every, every two years, um, you know, we double the amount of transistors in a microprocessor. And, um, you know, I like to play a little game when I give my talks and um, I'll, I'll do this with you. So please, you know, given the ratio of, you know, from when Intel was founded in 1965, where we were at with microprocessors, let's apply that same principle to the automotive industry if they, okay. if they held constant. So if, if the automotive industry held constant to Moore's Law in terms of microprocessors, the first question is, um, what do you think the average mile per gallon would be for a vehicle? Miles per gallon would be for a vehicle. Oh, interesting. I think it'd be like significantly lower, like sense for you to be able to go ahead and fill up your tank. Or like, what would the average MPG, like I'm, I'm talking in like 30 MPG, 60 MPG, what do you think that would be? Oh, I see. I see. Which that is a question too, but I'll get there. Sure. Oh, the pricing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I guess they go hand in hand a tiny bit. So I, I definitely think that you'd be able to go I, I don't even know the numbers to be honest, but a heck of a yes. lot longer on a lot less gas, right? Because Cars came out in like 1910. Right. right? We're in 2019 now. So yeah. on like That's a drop of gas, you'd be able to go a thousand miles. Oh, you are. You are cold as ice this morning. <laughs> um, two million. Two million? Two wow. million miles per gallon. Wow. What do you think the average speed would be in terms of miles per hour that a car could go? Oh, interesting. Average speed. I mean... My brain already goes into like thinking of infrastructure and human capability of being able to go that fast. But um, I don't know, like, let's say definitely faster than a plane, like definitely faster than uh, bullet trains that exist now. And I think the bullet trains are probably like 500 miles an hour. So we'd be definitely up in the thousands. But based on the other answer, I'm probably wrong. Got a number. A million miles an hour. Okay, you're actually... uh you're actually really high on that one. Um, it's actually 300,000 miles per hour. Got it. Interesting. And then here's the one that always blows everybody's mind. Uh, what do you think the average price of a car would be? Yeah, that'd be cents. What cents do you think? Like a penny for like... You're actually, you're actually really close. It's actually about four cents. Wow. 
Interesting. Yeah, that's a so, really good way for people to think about it. Yes, because if you think about how quickly microprocessors have doubled according to Moore's Law, and you apply that to a bunch of other industries, if only everything could be held at the same constant, we would truly be living in the Jetsons. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But also, didn't I, I feel like I read something the other day that that, that law doesn't even apply anymore. Oh, no, we're actually, uh, the prediction is either next year or 2021, we are going to actually cap out in Moore's Law because we can't physically get any smaller than where we're at with current silicon chips. Interesting. And that opens up a world into quantum computing that well, well, we can talk about some other time there. That's some mind-blowing stuff. Oh, I can imagine in quantum computing. Um, they're working on some really insane things with that. But Interesting. Yeah, we're, we're, we're due to actually, because Moore's Law predicted infinite growth, which is funny right. that infinite growth you know, only took 50 years to cap out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the most, for those listening, I think, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, I think quantum computing is that right now we live in binary ones and zeros, ones and zeros that exist at any given point, either a one or a zero exists on right. off, on off, on off quantum computing one and zero on off could exist simultaneously, right? Simultaneously and anywhere at any given moment in space and time. Interesting. Love it. So <laughs> <laughs> well, that's for another deeper podcast. Like you said, that could be a whole other topic. The one thing that I definitely wanted to make sure that we covered though, was the, idea and the thoughts about privacy. So with this always being on the Xbox live when that came out or not live, sorry, but the Xbox, I forgot what it was called. The uh, connect. Yeah. Facebook, uh, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft Xbox connect. There was a big revolt when they said it's always on. Yep. This thing is always on. And yep. if I'm not mistaken, this has already been involved in this as in for those listening, the Alexa echo has already been involved in was it like a murder trial yep they actually they they used alexa as a witness testimony yeah <laughs> which is crazy right like to think about yeah uh, no i it wouldn't be a talk on ai and voice without privacy yeah because um, every time i give a talk or just talk about this with anybody the privacy concern always gets sure. up, which as it should yeah but you know i i tend to view privacy in two different camps so you know, we're living in an age where everything's connected. Everything has some type of microphone or camera or something is, is obtaining your data in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And to try and hide from that is almost more stressful and harder to do. Interesting. Just, and I, I really hate to use this word, just resigning to the fact that that's just how it is. Sure. No, you're right. I mean, that's like me saying I don't want to use cars or something, you know, back right. in the day. You right. Know. That's just how it is. And unfortunately, we have to just trust the people who have created the tools that they will do the right thing, even yeah. though I know it doesn't seem like it lately. Sure. And, and we will stumble. We will. We absolutely will. And we have. But there, there truly is no way to be 100% private in 2019. Anybody, Perfect. anywhere can access anything that they want to. Sure, you're right. Nothing I think the military has satellites that could like look at anybody in the most rural All right. in the world. No, nothing, nothing is impenetrable. Um, yeah. There will always be some way to get into something, um, and that that's just how it is. So when we bring up the privacy concern, that typically is my response, and people usually go, "Yeah, I, I guess I never thought of it that way before." Sure. But I, I will go in defense of Google and Amazon and, and Microsoft and Apple here, saying that you know they've made it very clear, at least you know, Amazon has more so than the others that yes, 
Alexa is listening all the time, but the transparency is good. She has to because that's how we improve the NLP and the AI. That's how we improve the yeah. natural processing and its ability to get better. Is right. a conversation, and in order to activate it, you know, it needs to be listening. It can't be turned off; otherwise, True. that defeats the whole purpose of having it. That's a so fair they point. Have been, they have been very upfront with saying that it does that. So when you buy the device, you cannot tell me that you don't like that it's collecting your data because when you buy it. You should know that it's doing that because they've been very True. clear with that. And you enter that invisible contract knowing that it's on all the time listening to you. Yeah. But I also look at it from a friction perspective, right? If I had to walk across the room to press this button every time I wanted to talk to her, do you know how many times I'd be using this? Nobody would be using it. <laughs> Nobody. Yeah. I love being here like, Alexa, set a timer. Alexa, what time does the supermarket right. close? It's Not like, let me walk over there. No, nobody, nobody would be using it then. It wouldn't have nearly as much adoption as it does right now if you had to physically do something. So yeah. it, it's that trade-off, unfortunately. And yeah, that trade-off has been happening for a long time. I mean, I don't know why everybody thought that Facebook, all the data we were pumping into Facebook, that this thing was going to be impenetrable. Like, oh, of course. that's just, I've been thinking about that for years. I, again, I've kind of chosen, you know, the camp of not caring so much, but yeah. you know, when everybody was raising hell about Facebook's data privacy, they're like, are you serious? Are yeah. you actually serious that you did not think that this was going to of happen? Course. Of course. I mean, there's the world's are... largest database of public information, personal information. I mean, come on. Agreed. I mean, obviously this is my only, my own perspective and I know there are statistics that I can't remember on this now, but really anybody who I encounter that's uh, younger than 30, they're like, sure, that just gives me better shopping experience. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. Facebook is giving me those videos that I do want to watch. They have zero qualms with that. Well, and, and I get that, you know, I get for people who are late Gen Xers and baby boomers, like, you know, in their, in their time, the only way to get a hold of somebody was via a corded phone. Yeah. You know? And so I, I get why there's a, a privacy concern to that, but uh, you know, it's all the, also these quote unquote old people yeah. who are using Facebook more than younger people right now. Yeah. So I'm thinking, I'm like, they're a company you are using their service. This is not a public good. Yeah. I, I know if you're going to use their service, you have to play by their rules and they make yep. you checkbox an agreement that was written by some lawyers who are making more than I'll probably ever make in my life. Yeah. Ensure that, yeah, okay, you can use our you can use our service. Um you'll make more than than those lawyers, by the way. There's oh, a cap of what you. they make. <laughs> you in the business world creating what you're doing and changing tomorrow. You know, you, you get like, my point. Like yeah. they, they, they take really great lengths to ensure that, yeah. you know, they write these service agreements that we don't read because why would we? Yeah. But I'm thinking it's those same people who are concerned about privacy that are giving up their privacy to the entity that they're so concerned Agreed. about. Agreed. And it's only going to get worse. Facebook, I'm sure, I don't even, I can't even fathom how many attacks that they get every day. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, you know, people raised how, I think it was last week or the week before. Yeah, when they were gone for 24 hours. Yeah, just they were shut down for a couple yeah. hours. And again, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, it's a company. This isn't, this isn't the public, this isn't a public good. Yeah. It's a company. They are liable to have issues. Yeah. Do I think, do I agree that they were still charging me ad money for not working? No, but they're a business. So I get um, it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's ridiculous to think with how much data that we're giving to a few companies. Sure. That we, we shouldn't expect anything bad to happen. I agree. I mean, it's out there. It's going to happen. I mean, look at look at AWS and, and Azure. I mean, yeah. these 
Microsoft and Amazon are are holding a majority of the world's data right now, and it's only going to become more. I mean, yeah, that puts you at an insanely high risk of of, of your information getting stolen. But at the same time, sure. those companies spend billions every year in making sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. But- that's fair. So just real quick, for those that may not know, so AWS, Amazon Web Services, and you mentioned a bunch of other ones. Azure so, is uh, Microsoft, yep. Got it, all right. Or cloud service. That's, yeah, it's interesting that a while ago, so Amazons are in Virginia mostly, and there was a ver- uh, earthquake around Virginia or Maryland or something, and that's the one time, I think it was like two, three years ago, that Netflix was really down. Yeah, no, I, I believe it. And, and that's the risk we run too, is when we start storing all of our data in these cloud centers, yeah, they have fail safes. But to me, that isn't the safest thing either, because now all your data is with this one company. And yeah, it would. They're shipping down, and you're, you're kind of screwed. Agreed. But it's, it's also funny how analog it really all is, though. Yeah, that <laughs> it, it's physical, you know, it's yeah. physical stuff. Like, even though we think of the internet as this ethereal digital thing, the internet is just servers. Oh, it's and it's cables. Server. There are like cables in Miami. There are cables in yeah. New York. I think Washington, LA, San Francisco. That's what connects us, is the underwater cables. Yes. We're constantly fixing them. People don't know that. No, it's cables. It's server space. It's still yeah. being run on a physical system. I don't know if we'll ever get beyond that, to be honest. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, what else? We're getting the supernatural there. Yeah, but I there? mean, you know, this, this stuff is liable to break. And of course. I, I think everybody should just count their blessings and be happy that we've gone this long without any major catastrophe. Yeah. You know, everybody, everybody thinks that, okay, the, the Cambridge Analytica thing with Facebook was like the worst thing that could ever happen. There are far worse things of that course. could have happened. But that can happen or that are happening. Yeah, we don't know what we don't happen. know. Absolutely. You know, like there are um, things that are unimaginable that are so, happening right now. Exactly. And so, yeah, we bring up the whole privacy thing, but it's just, it, it, we can't we can't live our lives thinking that we're we're going to try and escape our devices and our technology from collecting data on us because data is the new oil. It's more it, valuable it, than oil it, than it is. and it's it, that's just how it is. I I agree, and I, I love your perspective, and thank you for sharing. I couldn't let you go without asking that question. As the listeners would have been like, "What, what does he have to say about data? No, absolutely about privacy." I, I think it's really important to talk about privacy because I think it it is on everybody's mind. Yeah. You know? Give it another five, ten years, I, I think people won't freak out as much. Well, no, because it will be just like synonymous with life. Right? It will right. just be all around us everywhere, anywhere, but no one's going to think about it at all. No. You know? So, Nick, this has been so eye-opening for me. I've learned so much. I hope and I, I, I know that the listeners have learned so much as well. If someone wants to get in contact with you, what's the name of your company? What do you do? Yes. And we've heard that you're talking on TEDx, but also this is going to live on forever and we're going to do a recap podcast in 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. To see where, but where, where can people find where you're going to be talking, what you're doing next? And yeah, all that so um, next couple of months are going to be very exciting for me. So um, on April 13th, I'll actually be at my alma mater, uh, UW-Stevens Point at their TEDx event. Nice. Um, presenting on AI, the final tool. So that's um, but a, a talk that I, I like giving that I really haven't been able to give in a while. So that'll be fun. Can you, um, is, that, is that web streams or no? Uh, no, but they do record all the talks. So I do think they'll have a TEDx channel that they'll post those to. Awesome. Um, and May, I will be at Social Media Strategy Summit Chicago um, talking about voice and, and AI, um, cool. you know, kind of how what, what the current tools are available, that type of different stuff, how, how that's changing data analysis for marketers. 
I'm going to be at a local event in Stevens Point, Wisconsin in May. Nice. May, uh, June, talking about AI and the future of work. And then um, the other thing I have booked through the year now is um, going to Australia, as you yeah. know. Well, um, yeah, we're both judges. Yep. Leo and I are both judges for uh, the Social Media Marketing Institute's mm-hmm. uh, Social Media Marketing Awards. Yep. So I will be going down to Australia to actually be presenting at the summit that That's they have be amazing. on the, on the same day. So I am very excited about that. And, uh, I got a couple other, uh, proposals out there. Um, one is actually voice summit just happening mm-hmm. in New Jersey. And oh, congratulations to you and everyone yeah, else. In so Jersey. <laughs> I, got a, I got a proposal out for that. So we'll see if that comes through. Otherwise, yeah, the, the next couple of months are going to be kind of busy in terms of, of speaking. So Amazing. But, and uh, what's, what does your company, what's the name of the company? I don't think we actually, I never had a chance to ask it. You know, after all the conversation we had, I don't think we've touched on that other. Yeah. No. So my, my, my company is called Red Fox Creative. Um, so we help brands connect with people through emerging technology. And right now that is specifically tailored towards voice and AI. Mm-hmm. Um, so as Leo mentioned, uh, my website currently under, we're, I'm going on, going some construction with that. <laughs> it, will, it will be a lot more tailored and, and, uh, and, and centered on what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, the best way to, to get a hold of me actually is on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, send me a message. I am a LinkedIn-aholic and I actually, I don't know, speaking of LinkedIn, I don't know if I shared this with you. So that video I posted, not last Friday, but the Friday before about me getting accepted to TEDx. Yep. Um, 17,000 views. Well, I was going to actually say, you know, it kept popping up and I'm like, um, this is doing really, really well. So yeah, congrats um, on that. It was trending for a bit, 17,000 views. I really don't know what made it a unicorn post. Um, mm. I've been trying to figure it out, but uh, you know, some things just happen, I guess, right? In the social media world. A hundred percent. Well, you know. <laughs> you just, yes. And as, as well-deserved man, like people need to hear what you're saying. I think so many people are going to have the opportunity to learn. So I'm glad that yeah, so LinkedIn and then uh, my email too. And I am more than happy to share this is uh, Nick N I C K M at redfoxcreate.com. I am also addicted to my email. <laughs> if you reach out to me via email, I will more than likely respond. And you know, I you know a lot of people have different views on the whole, can I pick your brain thing? And like, sure. you know, I found that, you know, you never should turn anyone down from a meeting. Agreed. I'm a hundred percent with you. You never know what what's going to happen. So I'm I'm always open to you know a phone call, a Zoom meeting, meeting in person if you're local. So please don't don't hesitate to reach out to me. That is being the best human and the best ROI. The people can't see, but I'll put it in the show notes. This is a book exactly 100 percent on that give and take by Adam Grant. It's, I'll add that to my list. <laughs> <laughs> it's about the more you give the more benevolent you are, the better you're going to do. Yes. And and even if you're a millionaire or billionaire, it doesn't matter. We're all in this. Exactly. I, I view that we're all in this together to share knowledge and help each other out. And, you know, I've had so many people who literally are so good at what they do, you know, like yourself, who, who they have no reason to reach out to me or no reason to give me the time of day, but yeah. they do. And it's almost, it's almost like a pay it forward type thing, you know, where you want to help, help others do the same thing because that that's what this is all about to me. So I, I agree. And I, like what we said earlier on though, too, is also not just making that connection online, but hopping on a video car or something like that. Cause I remember being that person. I remember being like 19 
you know, we had MySpace, we didn't have LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff, but like <laughs> even reaching out or calling or emailing someone like, Hey, you know, I'd love to learn more about and being rejected or just not being responded back to. And one of the things I always strive to do, I always tell people follow up with me because I sometimes just miss things, but I yeah. always try to get back to people. Yeah. Even if, even if I'm hiring for a team, I try my very best to respond to every single person applying. And sometimes it's very difficult. Obviously, scaling it is very difficult. But I try to respond and I try to give reasons as to why they don't get hired. I don't like those automated messages. Or anything yep. like that. So I'm in your boat. Well, and I appreciate you sharing that with my listeners. I, I think that's fantastic. That's how you handle that. And yeah, you know, being in the speaking ring, I've encountered a, you know, a lot of different speakers who, you know, I, I they have a lot of really valuable things to say, sure. but they're so focused on the money aspect yeah. of it. You know, so there's so many who are like, well, I don't do anything that's not paid, same. which I, I get, but at the same time, like if you're, in my opinion, if you are a, a truly a good speaker and you're in it for more than just the money for evangelizing, you know, right? You will also do free stuff because that shows you actually care about helping people and spreading knowledge and that that that's what this is all about and Agreed. Uh, I, I think you know something i always tell people too is don't be afraid to reach out to somebody i mean we, we we are lucky enough to live right now in a world where you can literally get in touch with anybody you're right you want to um, yeah and i always go back to linkedin if, if you're listening to this and you are not active on linkedin you get yourself a profile and Amen. you you start engaging and posting content because like I, like I said at the beginning of this, 70% of the opportunities that have come my way over the past year and a half have been because of LinkedIn. Yeah. And reaching out to people I thought were interesting. And then we form a friendship and build a relationship. Mm -hmm. And one of the greatest mentors that I have in my life right now is, is because I met her in person, but then reached out to her on LinkedIn. Wow. Um, and it's amazing. It's, it's so powerful. The other thing I would just add to that to people and to share with people, I'm like, don't be afraid to follow up. Yeah. Because I always tell people like, message me. I will try to get back to you, but you know, life happens, right? Yep. So I'm like, follow up with me. Like I, you're not going to bother me. And if you are bothering me, I can mute you. Or if you're bothering someone else, they could, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like follow up. You never know what the other person's going exactly. through. Like that. So but, but, don't try once. Last piece of advice I'll give when it comes to reaching out to people is make sure when you do reach out to somebody, it's a shared value experience. You know, it, it's one thing to be like, okay, I want to learn from you and I want to do this, but what is something that you can provide, whether that's, you know, physical or intangible to the other person as, as a mutual value, because that's only going to enhance the relationship that much more. And, you know, I can't tell you how many messages I get on LinkedIn lately of people just trying to, to you know, we've been saying the word sell, but I mean, sell, like I've never met you. I've mm -hmm. never talked with you, but yet you're pitching me your product or service. It's like, I don't roll that way. You know, yeah, exactly. On this platform. I'm, I'm not going, either I'm going to remove you as a connection or I'm just never going to talk to you. Yep. Agreed. So do not, do not, do not do that. Did you have a post on that the other day? I did. And that actually got like a lot of engagement too, because I think everybody's getting sick of it. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, truly, if, if you, if you're active on LinkedIn and you find somebody you want to talk to, reach out to them. Yeah, add value. I say what you can bring to the table for them. And I guarantee you, they will accept an offline meeting with you. Beautifully said. Brother, I appreciate you. I appreciate everything you're doing. And you. I appreciate you for being on this. No, thank you for having me. This is fantastic. Honestly, out of um, 
I haven't done too many podcasts, but out of the ones I have been on, they haven't been this much fun because it was just so unstructured and train of thought. And that's what I love. I love it so much. I, I appreciate you saying that because I haven't had feedback where people are like, well, I don't want to come on because you don't have a set questions. I think that's the best yeah. way. Yeah. You know, and, and I think I brought up to you my, my best friend and I run a podcast, but it, it's kind of struggling right now because we've always had a structured format to it. But I'm like, you know what, Brett, we just, how about we just, just talk about stuff, you know, why, yeah. why make a structure of it? And exactly. this is a, this is a testament to that. You know, what I just did with you to me is the best way to get to know somebody and talk about cool things is to just go. hundred percent. But even from like a business show perspective, in many ways, I look at myself, like I'm the audience. Yeah. Right? You email me too. And you're like, Hey, is there anything else you want me to share? I'm like, no, cause I want to experience you, your business, your philosophies, all in real time to be like the audience because if someone was just listening to you talk, I want to have the same reactions they have. And um, that's been really powerful. I've gotten good feedback on that. And really the people that have not wanted to come on because they wanted a structure, those aren't the people I want on anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so brother, thank you. I can't wait to meet you in person. I, I owe know. you many beers, coffee, <laughs> dinner, sure. whatever you want. I'm sure our paths will cross at some point. Now, are you, were you planning on being in Australia or no? No, no, no. But okay. I, I, one day, one day. <laughs> <laughs> no, our, our paths will cross, I'm sure, in some way, shape, or form. So. Oh, if not, we just make it happen. You're welcome here anytime in Denver. That'd be an awesome trip, let me tell you. Yeah. All <laughs> right. Well, I'll see you. All right. Thanks, Leo. I appreciate it. Bye. Bye.